All right, everybody, here we are. Shug me the Mooney, episode 49. Um, here, of course, with Shug. Shug, how you feeling today? Yeah, man, we back. It's um, yeah. last episode, the, the Knicks were on a five-game winning streak. That streak has stretched to eight. They had a day off yesterday, and they had. I'm guessing they're going to practice and stuff today, but that day off, Yesterday was well earned because they basically played like five, like four games in like five days and they won all of them. So it's great. They're starting to get a buzz, um, of course, with a lot of, um, you know, with success, it, it, um, it allows for a lot of bandwagoners or people who left the bandwagon to try to hump, jump, jump back on. Um, we talked about that last week and then another person who we've talked about on, on the show, um, Andrew Yang perspective or hopeful, uh, New York city mayoral candidate. He's built a campaign on, you know, a lot of different, um, ideas for the future of New York city. That's like 20% of his campaign strategy. And then the other 80, 80% is trashing the New York Knicks. Cause supposedly he used to be a New York Knicks fan. Um, if you haven't seen the initial video from our intro on episode way back, it's on YouTube. It's our like most watched video got negative comments underneath it. it i think we got our only dislike our only thumbs down on it um so today the ringer um you know bill simmons um sports media company they put out an article talking about the new york knicks so seemingly andrew yang um posted his approval of it and his support. So as of course, you know, us Knicks fans, me, Mike, a lot of my f- friends and followers on Twitter who follow the Knicks, we won't allow for such nonsense mm. after you've, you've left us. Right. One of the comments was divorces are, this divorce is final. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you go back, it was March, 2019. And uh, the, the exact quote, cause Hey, you're this politics, man. People are going to try to, you know, if I can't trust you with the sports stuff, I'm going to trust you with the, uh, you know, the uh, utilities and all that. Uh, so he wrote, breaking up with the Knicks was a, one of the best decisions of my life. I feel freer. <laughs> well, it's, this isn't like, let them go. And then if they want to, if they really, if it's true love, they'll come back. No. No, I don't that's know not how it works, man. Um, but he, you know, it's funny. Um, he said, like Jeremy Lin, like the Knicks not re-signing, Jeremy Lin was the last straw. And it's funny as hell because a lit- his his last straw was literally preceding like the best Knicks team of the last 20 years, the 2013 Atlantic Division, mm-hmm. um, beat the Miami Heat three out of four times. Um, and I think that was probably like the Heat, the, the LeBron... Bosch and Wade Heat's like best year. I think that was the the year when they won like 32 straight games or something like that. And the one loss out of the four games that Knicks played them um was amidst that 
32 game win streak and we actually were leading going into the fourth quarter but it's neither here nor there a lot of people thought like if the Knicks would have made it past Indiana we would have probably had like a good shot at beating um Miami because it looked like we had the the cheat code for them mm-hmm. um unfortunately that was the last time the Knicks have made the playoffs you know the Knicks now are in the fourth seed um by half a game but in beating my in beating Atlanta, they swept the season series. So even if Atlanta and the Knicks are like fourth and fifth and they're tied at the end of the season, the Knicks own the tiebreaker. So it's very much possible that MSG will be could be hosting um have home court advantage in a first round series. So you know, going back to Yang, um you know, it, it is 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 despicable. Um, we talked about it last week. You know, people like bandwagoners, like, you know, you could you could be a Fairweather fan, but just to say, all right, like I'm divorced from the Knicks, I feel freer. I'm a fan of the Nets. Like, stay with the Nets. Like, go over there with those um, you know, mercenaries who are oft injured and um or in Kyrie's case, he just plays whenever like the vibes are vibing or whatever, whatever. But you know, we don't want Andrew Yang back. Like, stay over there. Like hey, we're piling on Yang. Uh you're speaking what's what's also our, our other uh my Knicks. We gotta talk about Stephen A. Smith. Yeah too oh, as yeah. well. Yeah, that's you know. another tweet that got like a lot of um retweets from me. Cause he, I guess he has like a little show that he does on ESPN Plus. I don't have ESPN Plus, so I haven't seen it. But you know, it circulate. He he posted the clip of him talking about his Knicks. Um, and if you're unfamiliar or you don't watch basketball, Julius Randle. And I gotta say this because I'm one of them people. You will dig up my old tweets. It's two things with the Knicks. I was very wrong about. Um, and I think a lot of Nick fans, <clears throat> I'm not the only Nick fan that did this, but Julius Randle last year, he definitely got in a mode where he was like, all right, like he, it, it looked like he was kind of playing. I want to, like, I don't want to say like he was playing for himself, but he, he was kind of in a mode where he was like putting up big mom, number, big numbers, but it wasn't contributing to winning because, you know, Nick started off like four and 20 four last year with David Fisdale with basically the same team. And this year, Tom Thibodeau came in, guy who grew up loving the Knicks. It was like one of the most, um, uh, what is it, like an unkept secret? Refra- oh, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, best kept secret? No, uh, unspoken, yeah. Yeah, but every everybody, it was the worst kept saying. secret. Worst kept secret. Because he basically, like, he's been an assistant coach with the Knicks, and then he went on to become an assistant coach with the Celtics, won the 2008 NBA Finals with the Celtics, and then he, I believe, after uh, Isaiah Thomas um, was relieved of coaching duties in 2008, uh, it was between him, Mark Jackson, and Mike D'Antoni, and uh, he kind of fell into he fell to third in our in our race, and I wanted Mark Jackson at the time. 
Um, mm. me too. Wasn't really a fan of Mike D'Antoni because he he was the running joke. It's Mike Antoni, no D because his teams yeah. never play defense. Um, I know I was not a fan of that that whole. Yeah, I, yeah. I like I didn't like the hiring. So he was he he went to Chicago, one coach of the year. Um, was coaching coach D Rose to uh, MVP. Joachim Noah had a big jump. Jimmy Butler, of course, like he was like Jimmy Butler was like the last pick of the first round, and now Jimmy Butler's like basically an All Star level player. Um, led the Heat. Mm to the quote-unquote finals because I don't recognize the bubble finals. Um, but it's an accomplishment nonetheless. Um, and he's doing such yeah, a... I... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was I was a huge fan of the Bulls at that era. Uh, and, it, you know, Tim Dow, too. Like, I always wanted I always wanted him. He was, like, kind of like... Uh, like me and my brother were like, you know, I want to I want coach like that, you know. Uh, and the players. I was always a D uh, Rose fan. When he was here in 2016, that uh, it didn't really work out. Um but when I, you know, in the last few weeks, like watching all these games more closely, like I'm glad he's back, um, you know, because they're a great, you know, tandem together. Uh, it's like the leader you need, the mm-hmm. uh, you know, the veteran leader in the locker room, you know. And it's they like also, perfect recipe. And they also had a chance to hire him as a coach um, in 2014, I believe, um, when Phil Jackson was the president of the Knicks, but obviously, as we know, Phil Jackson wanted his guys. Um, Thibodeau went to Minnesota, and they actually made him the coach and GM, which usually never works out. It's a it's very few and far between between in the current um, state of sports that you see a, a coach slash GM be successful. Um, but things didn't work out in Minnesota, and obviously things didn't work out with his deal last year, and they had to let him go. And they hired Tim. They they hired Tom Thibodeau, and it seems like it's a match made in heaven because the guys they come out and they play defense every night. I mean, you know, Anthony Edwards, he he had a quote where he was, you know, um, where the Knicks lost a game against them. Where, where against Minnesota, um, where he said he wanted RJ to shoot the last shot, um, and that caught a lot of, um, caught a, caught wind. But another thing that he said, and later on he was like, you know, the Knicks are like the best defensive team. It's a tough team to play because it's not that they're individually great defenders, but all five players on the floor are committed to playing defense. And in this era of the NBA, people don't play defense. So it's a lot of credit for Tom Thibodeau. I hope he wins coach of the year. I mean, especially when um, Vegas had us winning 22 games. We won 10. As of recording, we're, we beat that by 10 games. Um, a lot of teams had us, or a lot of experts, quote-unquote, had us last in the NBA, uh, bottom three team, um, fighting for the number one pick, um, tanking again. And, you know, they're going to, instead of like bottom four teams in the East, like they're three and a half games out of uh, the top three, the number three seed. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's only 12 games left, so it's highly unlikely, but it ain't out of the realm of possibility. It just takes like... um, 
a good stretch and a, for us and on a bad stretch for Milwaukee. So he deserves a ton of credit for that. But the person I want to give a lot of credit for going back to the Stephen A. Smith thing on um, video, um, Julius Randle last year, it definitely seemed like he was putting up big numbers, wasn't contributing to winning. And usually when that happens, you know, you look at this guy, you sign them to this contract. And then what do we always do? Oh, all right, like, let me look up when his contract ends. Like, how long we, do we have to put up with him? Um, or could we trade him? Um, even this past summer, I was, you know, thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, man, like, do we have to, like, attach one of these Dallas Mavericks first-round picks um, to get rid of him? But the thing he deserves a ton of credit for is the fact that, like, um, especially in this era – and another thing that came up yesterday that I want to talk about, I know this is going on, but um, a lot of people shy away from the New York spotlight. Julius Randle, he went to the lab, he put in the work. He's a person who was actually influenced by the late, great Kobe Bryant because Kobe Bryant told him that whatever CD you, um, you arrive to, you know, you got to find out where there's a gym that's open all night and get your shots up. So he really put into the put in the work, turned himself into an all-star, definitely most improved player. And he ought to garner some MVP um, votes. So Julius Randle deserves a ton of credit. A lot of us are wrong on that. Another thing a lot of us was wrong on um, and I, I've admitted to this, and I said it. I was like, man, I hope the thing I'm most wrong about in my whole life is this second Derrick Rose trade because Derrick Rose has come to the Knicks. He's been a breath of fresh air. They're 17 and seven when he plays, um, and it's night and day. He's a veteran presence now. Like he's mentoring the youths, uh, Emmanuel Quickly and yeah, Obi Toppin. Emmanuel Quickly, 25th pick in the draft. Uh, CBS Sports gave him gave the Knicks a D plus for that pick, and it's looking like an A plus plus pick. Um, so that's the, the thing. Something uh, you know, I'm right about. And then like it's funny as hell. I don't know if you've seen this, Mike, but LeBron James he tweeted out yesterday. Mm, yeah, talking I about it, yeah. oh the Knicks, oh the the league is better when the Knicks are are good. And I'm just like, bro, like shut the fuck up. Like you he, he said that many times. He said that. He said that over the years. He said that when like he was teasing the his memory had the billboard in Times Square. Like he was saying, like NBA is better off when the Knicks. That's kind of like a, a backhanded compliment. They've always been saying on like ESPN and a lot of players. I think even Kobe might have said it too. Uh, whenever someone, it's like the answer when they go, "Hey, would you ever play in the Garden?" Like how come? Uh, when you, you said shy away from the spotlight. Like a lot of people, like like Durant, like he went across the you know across the river to Brooklyn, it's like not the same. Uh, Cause there's a lot of, there's like more pressure to like, get that, get that, uh, that finals win. Cause it's like going on 50 years. Now. Like what yeah. I said was, um, I'm gonna let you continue, but what I said was yeah. him and Kyrie, they went to Brooklyn cause they wanted to be in a New York market, but didn't want that pressure. Like all that shit that they're doing over mm-hmm. there, like nobody cares about in a city. Cause like I, I've, I've said it on, to you and I've said it on Twitter. I'm like, you know, if like, you know, they they've only played like seven games. Like, you know, him, 
Kyrie and Harden, and I literally got Harden for like nothing, which is astounding because Harden was like MVP like two or three years ago, um, and probably like one of the most prolific scorers in NBA history at this point. Um, and I got him for like Karis LeVert and Jared Allen and like some late first round picks. Um, but they went over there and nobody cares. And the pressure isn't there, but like they haven't played and they've been injury prone and stuff like that. And it's funny as hell because the media, they will probably um, somehow, some way, like turn it into, oh, like Jim Dolan's paying these guys not to play, but he charges uh, fans at the garden X amount of money. To, to come to games and stuff like that. But yeah, Mike, like you were saying. Yeah. Well, well, I can, I can picture this right now. If Harden came to the Knicks, uh, there's like, people are saying that kind of, he uh, was not performing as he could, as he is performing uh, kind of like, all right, he's not going to play for us. All right, let's get rid of him then. Like he was kind of doing that. If you notice like, earlier in the year, like it was, uh, he was, when, he wasn't putting up numbers that you thought he would put up. And there was the rumor that they were saying that he was just trying to show, like, oh, I could turn it on, turn it off, and I don't want to play for you now. And he was Something like, like that. that's what they were saying. He was uh, out of shape. He won. Yeah, to he the... put on like 20, 20, you know, he, coming back from the second, you know, the bubble year, uh, he came back well over, well fed. And he was like um, at a strip club, like but... a full strip club, when, like, um, obviously, like, with the COVID protocols, like, dudes, like, mm. aren't supposed to be, like, in public or like putting themselves at risk like that. And I think he ended up getting fined or suspended or something like that. But who knows? Hey, I'm, who knows if that's intentional? He was like trying to, sh- I, mean, I don't know. I'm just maybe reading into it, but if he, if they did all come to the Knicks, they would have turned it them into like the, the new bad boys. Like they were like, you know, they play when they want to, but they would like, they would completely flip it and turn it into like the Knicks. They would use the term like mercenaries. They would actually use that. Not the whole thing that they're doing with the nets now, because they're like the darlings of like the, the people that are in control of like all these uh like websites and these social twitters and stuff because like they're all transplants themselves they don't, they came to new york so they they identify with the nets because they came back to new york that's how it goes but you know yeah. but uh we got to represent for the Knicks because a lot of the people that are the poster the faces of the celebrity fans i'm not that cool with uh so we have to keep it up on our end because yeah. um and we yeah. and listen, like any Knicks fan listening to this, like we deserve this. This has been like you know what I I, I tweeted out yesterday, like um somebody posted like the different lineups over the last like five or six years we've oh yeah you mm-hmm. know like and I thought of it like and I posted like the gif of um Andy Dufresne like crawling through the the the, the shit and then coming out um finally free mm. and it's like yeah we really had to put up um with a lot of shit you know putting that mildly the, like ticker, t- the ticker tape would be the instead of the rain oh man down and, in the- and it's crazy because you know what like and this is the last thing we're gonna say about the next time we're gonna get into the show but mm. in reality it's like this like Yankees won a championship. Of course, it's a big ass parade. Everybody comes out, but not the whole city comes out because they're Mets fans and vice versa. Same thing with the Giants and the Jets if they win the Super Bowl. Um, but I do believe, you know, the if the Knicks ever won, that's like the whole city because it's 90, it's, a, you know, at least 80, 20. 
um, Knicks fans, and on top of that, like if they had a parade, assuming uh the pandemic is over, like at some point and things go back to normal, or even if we gotta be out there with our masks and social distancing and all that stuff, it'll be in the middle of June. Like it'll be warm out, uh, nice summer, spring day, like. If we ever won a championship, it would be like such a beautiful site. Like I don't even think there's enough space in Manhattan to hold the amount of people that will come out if the Knicks won an NBA championship. When if and when, like the um reference I always point to is like the Cubs. Like when the Cubs finally won the World Series in 2016, like Chicago, it, it was huge. It was like significant. So hopefully that happens soon in the future, but. On a serious note, um, got some bad news last night, but I'm going to talk about some news I just got and I shared with Mike. Um, Steve Mongo McMichael, former NFL player, Super Bowl champion with the Chicago Bears, um, former WCW um, wrestler. He was... Um, also a member of the Four Horsemen, the new, the one of the iterations of the Four Horsemen. Um, I actually was the husband, the ex-husband of a person of of a woman who is married, who was married to somebody we're going to talk about later on in the show, um, Deborah McMichael. So that's how I knew. Um, know about him because I wasn't watching wrestling at the time, but he was diagnosed with ALS, you know, which is a muscle disease. They call it Lou Gehrig's disease, but it's been said that Lou Gehrig might have not had it. But this year, MLB is actually going to uh, have uh, a big ALS awareness um, campaign. Uh, I think it's June... Sometime in June or July. If it's the same, if it's the same, because back uh, in the 2000s, I used to do a walk for it. It was either like late May or early June. Yeah. It might be sometime around our birthday. So, yeah. Yeah, I believe it's June. Um, so, prayers up to to him and his family um, uh, in, in um, you know, living and dealing with that disease and hopefully more and more awareness and research into it. They could find some kind of um, cure or some kind of treatment. So prayers up to him. Um, Digital Underground, um, Humpty, the Humpty Dance is your chance to do the hump. You know, that's one of them songs that like I randomly um, just start singing, you know, do me, baby. Uh, but last mm-hmm. night, unfortunately, we found out that Shock G. Um, passed away at the age of 57 years old. Um, Tupac, of course, was a member or actually mm-hmm. got his start in music with the Digital Underground. And um, Shaji was a close friend of his. Um, so prayers up to his family. And, you know, the one thing I tweeted, I was like, man, like, I hope that, you know, him and Pac are up in heaven now, like, you know, making some some bangers for whenever like we get there um but i was very sad to hear that but in even sadder news 
um, Terrence Clark of the University of Kentucky, freshman, 19 years old, um, passed away and tragically last night in a car accident um, in Los Angeles. You know, he was uh, training for the NBA draft or preparing himself, preparing himself for the NBA draft. Um, it's just really sad, Mike, like, because uh, I, I think of it, I'm like 19 years old. Like, I, I think, like, the best years of my life were um, between, like, 20 and 25. So I'm like, he ain't even get to live to see that. So it's really um, heartbreaking to, to see that. So prayers and well wishes to his family and his teammates um and anyone who knew him uh is just really really sad um and last night was between those two it was very very like heartbreaking for me yeah it's sad like um you know you're in bed and you're like just gonna look for one last quick laugh on your you know on twitter or anything and then, like, you see, like, trending and, like, you see the name and you're like, oh, what, what happened with this? And then, you know, then you go to bed with that. And then, like, I, I'm thinking about, like, that was a very popular, like, with Shock G, like, uh, that's, like, very, very popular song. Um, that's, like, one of those crossover hits that, like, everyone knows that. Uh, but, I like, I'm the one who I remember, like, you know, Tupac and everything. Uh, so that song is always going to be, uh, it's going to change the connotation of it when you hear it. Um, and then, uh, you know, with uh, a freshman. Uh, there's always stories about these prospects that like the what ifs, like what ifs in uh, like NCAA, and then they never even had the opportunity uh, to to go for it. And and beyond that, with like their family and everything, uh, it's always you know you see, especially now with social media, we can see the instant reaction from their family and uh, and friends and everything. So uh, you know, we we will talk about more positive things uh, in the show. Uh, but of course now our first topic is something that happened earlier in the week. Uh, our first topic, we're going to talk about the, the trial at Derek Chauvin. Um, the, the defense and the prosecutor rested, rested on Monday and not 24 hours later, the jury had, had a verdict. So we're going to talk about that and we're, you know, we're going to talk about the aftermath of it and like what's next. Um, that's mm-hmm. kind of like kind of the focus I want to talk about on that. Uh, and we will also separate it. We're also going to talk about George Floyd, and that's we're going to separate it when we talk about it. Um, so that was earlier in the week. Uh, also, earlier in the week, uh, you know, WWE, we talked about Steve McMichael and Deborah McMichael. Uh, one of her former husbands is one of the greatest uh, personalities in uh, pro wrestling history, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. So WWE teamed up with A&E, uh, like a third party, uh, a media group uh, to present like a new uh, series of docu-series for uh, one of their major talents uh, over the decades. So we're going to talk about that. Um, I have a lot to say about that just coming from, because this is going to be a long, uh, this is a series, so it's not going to just be a one-off that we'll, we'll talk about. Uh, but yeah, that's what we're going to talk about in 49. Uh, let's end the 40s uh, on a bang. All right, yeah. Yes, sir. Okay. So the closing arguments in the uh, Derek Chauvin, uh, former police officer in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, the closing arguments were made in the trial. Uh, and then 
the next day, April 20th, uh, I came home and on the, on the TV, it said the, the jury, uh, reached a verdict. So that's when I was flipping back and forth, you know, uh, winning for it. They said it would happen in 30 minutes. So, uh, I sat down, I was ready to hear, uh, what the outcome was going to be. Uh, Shug, were you watching it live? Were you, uh, when it, yeah, I had like seen that like it was um they were gonna drop the or the verdict was expected around um four thirty and five o'clock our time uh, Eastern Standard Time, but um three thirty and four o'clock Central Time in Minneapolis, where of course the trial took place. So I was waiting and um you know nervous about it because it's like um you know we, we'll bring up like numbers as to why the verdict um made me and i'm sure a lot of other people um anticipating it very nervous because it's very rare that there's any accountability when black men are killed by police um, when they kill by vigilantes, as we we've seen with um, Trayvon Martin down in Florida, and you know, just to talk about that for a little bit, uh, Mike, I don't know if you remember watching that trial, but it to me it seemed like the prosecution um, in Florida, and actually had a um, documentary on. Uh, I forgot what channel it was. I think it was on BET or it was on the Viacom channels where it kind of was like a multi miniseries documentary detailing the um, Trayvon Martin trial. Um, but watching it live and seeing the prosecutors who are basically supposed to be um, seeking justice for Trayvon Martin like it basically seemed like there was like half ass in it they um weren't really like trying so I have to give uh, it's kind of sad that I even have to say this but I have to give the Minnesota um attorney general and the state prosecutors a lot of credit for really fighting to see that you know this wrong was righted um because they they really did an excellent job uh chauvin's attorney um i understood the one thing i was interested in i was like you know how can you i was just i was interested um in how he would i understand i understood like it was his job so i was really interested in seeing how you could defend a guy, you know, uh, implanting his knee basically on a man's neck for nine and a half minutes and uh, making it seem that it was something that had to be done. I mean, it's, it's his neck, it's his neck. It's not to say like he had his knee on his back or his buttocks or on his leg or something like that it's on his neck like mm. you know like mike feel your neck right now oh yeah i mean that's like, that's like that's the main thing like without, without that you know 
yeah you know it's like it's like uh that and yeah uh the same thing with that with uh it's, it, it, apparently he's like one of the best like defense attorneys uh i feel the same exact way if you know someone is 100 percent innocent and you have to rely on a prosecutor and you're watching a prosecutor who knows he's innocent and then they're trying to find a way to find them guilty i find that's my whole thing i've always had this thing about trial uh the lawyers and stuff um but yeah, go on. But uh, Eric Nelson, uh, he he was planting the seeds during his closing arguments, uh, kind of to get to like a mistrial. And we'll get into that after. But uh, go on, Chuck. Uh, yeah, on. like like sometimes like when I'm laying down, you know, I'll be like on my phone, and my you know I'll be on my phone, and my neck is like kind of like constricted, and my chin is on my chest. And I'll start like coughing or like choking a little bit, and I have to like move around. So I'm just thinking of a man and a lot of people, they were like, well, he was like a hundred, he's, he's like 160 pounds. And, um, you know, George Floyd was like, you know, a, a man well over six feet, uh, you know, 200 and some odd pounds. So, you know, it's always this idea of like, um, portraying the black man as some kind of like, superhuman like monstrosity so they should be they they have to be put down some 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 way somehow um but you know 160 pounds on somebody's neck anybody's neck is like a lot um especially after like nine minutes and they actually had um one of the experts like uh i forgot what he was an expert in but they point he pointed out that there was at least like a few minutes during the nine minutes that Chauvin's legs, the, 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 the foot of the leg that the knee, which was on top of George Floyd's neck, like his foot was off the ground, which means like his whole body's weight was on top. The, the whole weight of his body was pressed down on his neck for nine minutes and you got to remember in that nine minute video like it wasn't like he had his knee on his neck and like he died after nine minutes like he was actually on his neck and he was probably dead for like four to five minutes of that video and then the other thing is like the emt had to he didn't get off of him the emt had to say like, all right, we have to put him on the gurney. You could like get off. Like it, it, it's just heartbreaking to watch. And I'm gonna tell you right now, like initially, like a little bit of me when they were reading off like the guilty, you know, he was guilty of all three charges. And it was looking at his eyes. And I kind of felt like, damn, like he's about to spend the rest of his life in jail. And it's like, you kind of feel bad because, you know, a little bit, I kind of felt bad a little bit because yeah. the prison well, you have, system. You have compassion. Yeah, a, a tad bit. Yeah, you're, you're a human. Because yeah, the prison system isn't meant to, like, it's it's supposed to rehabilitate people and um have people, you know, serve their um debt to society and learn from it and come out better people. But it you know it doesn't really work like that the prison system it turns you basically into um property it turns you into um it, it cages you in like an animal and 
um it actually does more harm than good um so i felt about a little bit but the more and more i think of the video and i i just keep picturing his like death stare um because remember it was a 17 year old girl with her six-year-old cousin but the 17 year old girl was videotaping it and her cousin her her little cousin was next to her watching this and he's staring at them all the people with like this cold dead nonchalant like all right i don't care i don't care that you you see me doing this so that part of sympathy um left me um there yeah like well in the video it's like the whole thing is flashing before his eyes and then uh when i was watching it was very of course it's very complicated and you know uh coming from different angles but i thought about like he was um if, if you like, oh, you know, you said you have that little, like, uh, you feel like, as, as a human, like, you feel like you feel for like he's going to be, like, in, incarcerated, you know. And, uh, like, I'm thinking that he was just, like, you know, like, either he thought it wasn't going to be 3-0, you know, or he was just told to, like, just stay there to just, like, have no reaction because any type of reaction is going to be, like, we're, we're talking about his non-reaction right now. And then also maybe... He's been in he's been in this for a year almost and i have no idea maybe they're saying well now you're going to be the face of us you can always think that too maybe he's like all right i'm that's going to be his thing in life where he's like all right i'm the face of this now i i'm going to own it and because you don't know i'm not a police officer I, i'm not an authority figure i don't know how there's people that are like we'll get into with personalities on tv who had a you know, their reaction uh is different from maybe mine and yours uh but yeah uh that's what I was that's what I was thinking I had very complicated thoughts um you know and uh yeah we can get into the whole thing with like justice like, so let, let's talk about the trial because I, I want to know if you had the same because when I was watching the first couple of days because the first couple of days was the witness the witnesses um mm-hmm. and it was um I want to say cool um to watch because it was you've seen the video like me i never watched the whole video the first time i've seen the whole nine minute video because i couldn't put myself through that bro um because my you know my father's black stepfather's black i have a black brother who's also autistic i have a black nephew i got a black brother-in-law or you know virtually all my friends except you mike are all black so um, you know, and me, you know, I, I just look at that video and it's just scary because it's like on any day you could walk into, you could run into a Derek Chauvin and the thing about it with this trial is just like, there's a lot more people think like these things, I mean, not people, cause I think we're a lot more aware of it, but there are a, a good segment of society and we'll talk about those people in a little bit who think like a Derek Chauvin is like an anomaly and like he's the exception and not the rule. Um, but there's a lot of Derek Chauvins and I always think of like all my, my friends and family, the men and the women, cause as we've seen with Breonna Taylor, like black women aren't um, excused from this either. Um, it's police brutality. Um, 
it's a, it's a scary thing to see, but by the, to the trial, like you got to see the people who were involved. Um, I'm sorry, I don't have the people's name, and I I knew mm. like their names like while I was watching it because I was actively watching it. But you had the young lady who was an EMT. Um, she was actually off duty, and she offered to help, and they wouldn't allow her to help. Um, had the young man who was an MMA fighter. And he was a black man, so I, that must have been scary as hell. Um, and he he was trying to, you know, talking to them. And he, uh, you noticed in the trial too, Mike, like the his Chauvin's attorney tried to make him seem like irrational and angry. It was like, did you call him like a punk ass bitch or something? And he's like, you know, to 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 basically. Um, portray him as the angry black man. Um, but the thing you notice in that is just that, and and the topic of conversation is just like a lot of these cops, they really have like this immunity where like, because you think about it, it as the only thing like that guy could do is yell and curse at the cops because he physically intervenes he could get arrested even worse there could have been two black men dead um so you have that inner conflict like i wanted this like I, I want to do something but i literally can't do anything because you know i could make you know i could make it worse for me or i could even make it worse for him um and you know people always want like it's crazy how people like expect like the most calm person in these incidents to be like the people that are being brutalized by the police or the people that are watching people get brutalized by the police and not like the actual police um so yeah him you had the older gentleman who was black um was charles williams i think I just know how they look. I didn't see the names. I yeah, saw but, on Twitter the other day. Yeah, well, he, you know, he's there crying, and he's like, you know, you think he's sixty-two yeah, years fine, old? Yeah. I'm like, you know, he's sixty-two years old, so he's seen some things, and I think seeing that um, was heartbreaking for him. Like, it was very, it was like a, a, a very emotional moment in the court. Um, and I watching the trial on TV, like when he started like crying, he, they actually had to take like a 10 minute break. So what I wanted to ask you, Mike, I'm like, what I got from the witness testimonies was that all of these people in that situation have far more compassion and sympathy than the four officers involved, Derek Chauvin and the other three who also are going to face their day in court, Um, I think in August, and they deserve to yeah, be in jail well. too. Yeah, because if he's guilty of murder, they're, they're accessories. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we'll get into that, but if uh, they, if, if there's an appeal or uh, if he got off on any of the counts, they might have just thrown out the charges on them. So this is going to 
just completely changed everything for them. Um, but yeah, but with the witnesses, um, I mean, like you have to think with that. You, you try to, uh, not think about it all the time, probably, but you, when you're, 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 you're so you're responsible now for like what you saw, like you have to remember it, you have to live, relive it. And you're in like an area where like you're back to where it was in May. Um, that's traumatizing, you know, like, you know, some people could have said, Oh, I don't want to, uh, let me just write a written statement. Uh, but the emotion that you saw that the jurors like saw that, I mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's, that's, that's intense. And you know, it's like, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's insane. I could never do that. Um, you know, I couldn't do that. And then, um, and then one of the things I was like surprised by what you would never see, um, because we've all heard of the blue, line of silence or uh, the the brotherhood the fraternity of police where it's like you know guys can never you know these guys can never do any wrong and if they do like we're not going to talk about it um and in reality it's like you want a lot of cops to be cervical like you want them to to hold the, the the guys that's making it bad for them or giving them a bad name accountable. And from what we saw in the trial, like a lot of the officers that they brought to the stand admonished their um admonished Derek Chauvin for what he did. And the way I see it is it's like more cops need to do this because I think all in all it makes your job easier um to call out the bad apples and to to be the the change um and call out this behavior because I, I think of it this way I'm like um me and you work somewhere it's like if somebody started if one of our coworkers was like putting like cleaning tablets in the drinks and poisoning people right like what would be more beneficial to us to turn a blind eye to it and let that person keep um let that person keep poisoning people or would it be us to be like listen you need to get that person out of here because they're potentially gonna make somebody um seriously sick maybe even die and we can't have that on uh, on top of that like it makes people less trustworthy towards us even though we didn't do anything um and that's something you see with cops where it's just like oh well you know he had to do what he had to do people don't understand how hard it is to be a cop and i think like a lot of people they keep saying like you know a cop's job is hard they can't make it you know some you know they don't know if they're gonna make it home at night but listen to me like i'm gonna let you know right now I'm a black man, and every time I walk out the door, I don't think I don't know if I'm gonna make it back home on time. And fighting crime isn't even my job, you know. If cops' lives, um, if cops didn't know like how dangerous their job was, they wouldn't be um, armed with guns, tasers, um, body vests, um, bulletproof vests. Kevlar, nightsticks, mace, all of this stuff, which is stuff we're going to get into because also during the trial, like three other people, two people got killed during the trial. And as the verdict was 
um the verdict was was read um like two hours after that a uh, young lady in columbus ohio got shot by a cop so um, yeah well, I'm gonna, what i'll say is like um i think they should just straight up just they're you know agitating situations let it unfold and take it in court if that's what you want so like let things happen and then afterwards have detectives come in and then figure out what happened because they're getting involved they're putting themselves they're they're becoming part of what let's say like the thing in uh, ohio if okay then what would have like it would have happened like stabbing would have happened and then break you know then you break it off and then you deal with it afterwards you know is that that would be like the the thing that would happen if the cops are not uh you know what's the word again like uh calming down the situation mm-hmm. um uh, what's the word again um de-escalating yeah de-escalating the situation so let that happen and then then, then you deal with it not being uh, a forceful energy creating a new situation you know mm-hmm. is that that's what happens to ha- have, that has to happen like it has to be uh dealing with something after the fact not creating a new uh, situation because that's yeah. the only thing that's going to happen because there's no solution to it, how it is now. There's no, there's zero trust between any any uh, agents in this situation and in our society right now. You know, from the top down, like you just have to let it unfold now and just deal with it after. That's going to be the situation now. Yeah. Like the person, like the person that called, just someone in the community called, as her, her shots fired. So then they show up and then they see this, and then another situation has cr- been created, like the one with um, Toledo. Like someone in the community was like, oh, I hear shots. So then they show up, and then another situation has happened. So I don't know what that. There's no there's no answer right now, but I'm just saying like it's crazy, you know. Yeah, and you know Adam Toledo because I'm you know might as well just talk about it now. Adam Toledo in our situation there, like people were saying like, oh, he might have had a gun and he threw it away, um, you know, which could have been the case. But the thing is, when he got shot, he didn't have a gun in his hand. And we saw the body cam video. He literally, the, the cop was pursuing him and he wasn't even running. He was like walking and he was, you know, told to put his hands up. He turned around slowly, um, putting his hands up. So, you know, what people are saying is like, while he was putting his hands up, he threw the gun away. But as he put his hands up, the officer shot him instantly. It wasn't even like, all right, let me see your hands. And, you know, and then if he had a gun and then he, you know, whatever happened would have happened. But when he had his hands up, he didn't have a gun. So that, that officer really didn't have like a reason to shoot him. Um, And then Dante I think Ray, Body cams are working. Yep. All right. No, no, no. Yeah, body cams are, 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 are impartial. Like, let's that... And they had the security camera in the parking lot. Just have the videos, and uh, so there's no. It's not like he said, she said. It's there. It's a factual thing. So the, the, I, I'm glad that there's more cameras now. It's ter- tragic to see all this stuff happening. But have the cameras. It's the Big Brother thing. Like you're gonna have cameras everywhere anyway. Let's have it out there, and you see everything. And the, the, what we're talking about now is the conversation that's coming out from it, and, and things are gonna change from it. But do you want to, right? Yeah, and it's like body if, cam. and that's another body cam thing. But and but that's the thing though, that if you're saying like you know, all right, cops got to make like these um decisions like in split seconds, split second decisions, stuff like that. You have the camera now, the body cams, and 
you know, somebody was saying too, because a lot of these people, a lot of these officers, they'll turn their body camera off. And they were saying, like, you know, I think it's part of the George Floyd police or not. Uh, I'm not too sure, but um, they were saying, like, once when an officer turns off their body cam, they could be charged with obstruction of justice because mm, yeah. you're supposed to have it on and that's part of evidence. Um, but the, you know, accountability. accountability, yes. And with the Toledo, um, shooting, you know, we watched it and it was like his decision was to shoot first instead of, all right, let me see if this kid has a gun. Is there a way for me to apprehend this kid without having to do this now? Um, what's her name? Makia Bryant. That's the one in that's the young lady who Ohio. in Ohio, 14 years old, 14 or 16. I think it was 16. 16 I believe. Yeah, um, I mean, where they're saying she had a knife child. because she was supposedly getting jumped uh, at her house. So we haven't seen the video there. And like LeBron James was catching a lot of flack because he, you know, put out like a tweet saying like, you know, that officer is next. Um, and people were like, oh, like, you know, with his influence, like, he put that man's life in danger, and he didn't let the facts come out, but, you know, we'll see the body cam at some point, but even in our situation then, like, there's videos we've seen where a lot of, like, white suspects get apprehended with guns or get into physical altercations with cops, and they don't, they make it out alive, um, so it has to be some kind of explanation there. Um, but Dante Wright, the officer, been an officer for 28 years. So, Mike, we're talking about a woman who's been a police officer for our entire lifespan almost. Um, she says she meant to tase him, but mistook her gun for the taser or vice versa however the semantics is and i'm just thinking to myself i'm like 28 years to me and you don't know the difference like that's like if there was a bus driver well mike you 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 mm. um oh yeah all right yeah For you're, family you're, thing yeah like i didn't know the gas pedal was the well, yeah, yeah i didn't know the gas pedal was the Break. I'm like, if there was a 28-year no. veteran bus driver and he re- he backed into a crowd because he mistake he mistook the reverse and the drive, um, gears, um, like would that be and 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 people got killed? Like would that be acceptable? Of course it would not be. Um. Mm-hmm. So it's disturbing, and then the other, the, the even that case is deeper, even deeper layers because they're saying, oh, he tried to run, um, uh, he had warrants, but the warrants that he had was mm. were for expired, um, tags, and in Brooklyn Center where the murder took place, uh, there was like a t- town hall meeting. And it came to light that, like, the DMV, because of the pandemic, a lot of registration for renewing um, tags have been backlogged or been um, 
basically backed up. So he might have been trying to get his um, tags renewed for months and couldn't. But at the end of the day, like he's a father. He needs to get around. He needs to get from here and there. And if you look at the demographics of Minnesota, I'm pretty sure it's overwhelmingly um, white. I remember, remember my, we always just have the joke. The Chris Rock joke where it was like Minnesota mm. <laughs> only black people in Minnesota is Prince and Kirby Puckett. And unfortunately both of those people are mm. gone. But my point is that mm-hmm. obviously his ties were expired. So that means there's a whole bunch of people, probably overwhelmingly white, who have expired ties. And the person at the town hall was saying like you as like talking to the mayor and I think like the interim police chief because their police chief had to of course like resign um because of the controversy. He was like, you know, why don't you just tell your officers like stuff like that? You don't really need to like you 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 can let people off with a warning or give them some kind of um grace with it. And I'm thinking I'm like a person like Dante Wright, you see a young black man driving a car you know they're more likely to be stopped than white people so i'm saying like black people don't have the same benefit of white people where it's like all right like if you're a white person you got to expire tag you're probably like all right well they probably if i drive safe and i don't speed i don't drive reckless and stuff like that i should be straight they won't stop me so I'll be good. Whereas like a black man, you could do the same exact thing. Like, all right, I'm not going to speed. I'm not going to drive reckless. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to have no drugs or alcohol in my car or whatever. Um, but you're still going to be stopped for whatever reason. It, it, you know, for whatever reason, because they already have that inherent bias towards you. Well, you brought it up somewhere in the South, uh, in, I guess, early 2020, I it was South Carolina or Georgia. Uh, you, did you read about that? The gentleman who got pulled over for driving too slow. He was driving 65 and a 70. Yeah. I saw the video. Did you see that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he's like, what's wrong? And he's like, well, I just, I just want to see if you're okay. And then also, uh, the same day as the trial, um, the, the jury, uh, a group of kids, teenagers like on their bikes were stopped in a town like township in jersey like south jersey and there was like vans all around them and it was for like a 1939 uh city law about having permits on your bicycles this is like the 1939 when like people didn't have cars they didn't have cars more yeah so that's another thing where it's like they 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 dust off like these rules and these laws Uh, it's the same thing in where where we are in new york city with the uh, probable cause like you can just uh, like the thing with you know, the stop and frisk because that's another thing where they yeah. find like oh your, your shoelaces are untied that's that are you okay let me check hey can I, can I take your bag mm-hmm. let me just see if you're okay and it's like there's like no you, there's no getting around it it's it's you know it's it's structure it's like it's how it is and the thing with the, uh, the bike the the thing with those bike things it was like three dudes on three kids on bikes mm-hmm. and four police SUVs showed up and it was like, see, that's why you need to fund the police. Like they clearly don't have nothing better to do yeah. with, 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 with their time. Um, it's a show of force too. It's like, like a show of like dominance too. Cause you think it's like four, yeah. four SUVs. So 
one to two cops. Let's just uh, give it the the high, um, the higher um estimation. So that's two cops a car. You're talking about eight police officers to deal with three kids on bikes where nobody's like being harmed or whatever, whatever. But it's 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 crazy. Um well the only time that ever happened to me was uh I I was waiting for the bus and I was like probably eighteen or nineteen and I I had like not embarrassing but I had like silly stuff in my bag and the only thing I felt embarrassed I felt embarrassed because there was someone in the area um like knocking windows and like going in the back of seats. So like someone called and I was the only one, it was like in my neighborhood, was like no one, it was like 11 o'clock waiting for the last bus and there was like no one around. So there was like six cops came towards me and uh, they're like, Oh, they like they took my bag. And I had like embarrassing stuff inside. I was like, I don't know, like it had nothing to do with. So like, that's the, that's the, the only time ever I felt like things were taken away from me. And like, I, you know, that's the only thing I could ever like, and that's like a minuscule thing from, all this other experiences that people have so uh that's the only thing at that time that you know like taking someone's like going through your bag and like you feel like violated yeah and i did promise i did promise that i would tell the story about that um Mm. situation with the cops um it just so happened that between watching this trial um watching the knicks and the yankees i hadn't really gotten around to it but perhaps um, later tonight or tomorrow, I'll shoot it. But since it's in reference to this case, and it just kind of happened to be a coincidence that you know the anniversary, um, infamous anniversary, um, lined up with this 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 trial. Um, I'll give the Cliff Notes version of it. I was um, working at the U.S. Census. Um, of course, I was uh, administrative um clerk so i had to wear um uh dress shirt tie slacks basically office wear and i used to work different shifts but at this point i was working like a night shift which was like four to eleven or three to eleven so we'd get out at eleven o'clock and me um a co-worker we were the only ones left so me and her used to um catch the bus and if you know me i'm like a frugal dude so she was like wait for her at the bus stop um if i had to catch the bus just take it if not she would have catch the cab and i was like well i'm not spending like 20 bucks on a cab i'm just spend like the 225 or whatever the, the bus fare was at the time and it was like a long block and i used to walk back and forth to wait for the bus so I see this cop like pass like from one end of the block to the next. And I had this phone booth, um, this on um, pay phone. I never even noticed all the times I've even walked there. Um, and I noticed this cop walking. I mean, this cop driving past and staring at me. So he goes up and then turns on his siren and busts like a U-turn. Pops out with his gun out, like, hey, hands up. Like, what you what were you doing about our phone? Blah, 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 blah. And supposedly somebody I call in like a bomb threat from that phone or some shit. That, that's what they claimed. And before I knew it, like four of the officers popped up, had my hands on the hood, um, searching through my shit, um, searching through my bag. And in my bag, I just had like Esquire magazine and like um, my like notepad that I used to write like my ideas and shit on, um, and if it I, I've said it like if it wasn't for my homegirl 
showing up, God only knows what would have happened because she had to come in and like vouch for me, like, yo, like we work at the census, it's right down there. Like he was just waiting for me at the bus stop. We here all day, da da da. And it's like they could have even went back in the office, looked at my my time log, cause they said it was like forty five minutes before I even got to the bus stop. But I was basically harassed, and I was wearing like office clothes. And I say that because look at the situation where the army sergeant in um mm. in Virginia he gets stopped, pepper sprayed, treated like a damn criminal. Um, and he was in his military uniform. So it's like, it don't matter what you do or what you wear, like you still got to wear this black skin and the system is, it's, it's systemic racism and it's, it's all, it's already, um, inherent bias that they have towards you just because you're black. Um, and not, that has to change. I, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. This might be a non sequitur, but I remember like in like, maybe it was around um, the late 2000s. I'm trying to think. Uh, but a lot of people, uh, great guys, also people that I'm surprised I wouldn't even give them a freaking stapler. I wouldn't trust them with a stapler. Mm-hmm. But like most people I grew up with, like they became uh, like military or other fraternity type, you know, like firemen or firewomen. And then also police officers. And I used to always say, I mean, come on. I mean, like, this is like really, this is, I might have been like high school. So like, I mean, I mean, they're just humans. I mean, I said something like kind of like defending uh, police officers, like the humans, like the actual individuals. I mean, like, come on. I mean, like, they're, they're only human. Like, you know, this is like 15 years ago. And they're like, no, like they're then getting offended. And they're like, no, they're highly trained. Like they're, they're, you know, they're trained and they know what to do and stuff like that. So basically, um, now, 15 years later, they're kind of going the opposite, saying that they're only human and like human error, and uh, they have the same split second decision. Like it changed. Like 15 years ago, they're like, no, they uh, have the responsibility. They're trained. Uh, so I don't know how like these arguments are shifting on people that are like pro blue and everything. Like it completely changed in like a generation. Yeah. Weird. Like now they're saying that they they're they're just they're as scared as as the people that are being victimized are. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, I've it's, heard that argument. It's really, it's like I said, the spectators and the people being brutalized have to be the level-headed ones and the ones that are calm. Mm-hmm. But going back to our right. situation with our army sergeant, I tweeted it and I, I said it. I was like, you know, the most, cr- the 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 craziest part of our whole interaction. I mind you, this is a video I think from last year or or a couple months ago. I think it was like in December. So, but it was I, earlier. It was, yeah, it was, yeah. But, but the thing that he said that was like the the crazy, the the scariest part was when he was like, "I serve my country, and this is how you treat me." And you know, Mike, ain't that something? I always a uh, a theme when we talk about Colin Kaepernick and different stuff. And I'm like, you know, there are black soldiers that go off and fight for this country, only to come to this come back to this country and be treated like crap. And it's Literally every single war that's been fought by this country that black people have been involved in, they've come back to the country and treated like second class citizens. You know, 1940s, people would come back from World War II. Guess what? You can't eat at this restaurant because it's whites only. Um, but back to the, the trial, um, what was your like initial reaction when the verdict came out? Well, I was thinking maybe like uh, two out of three, 
or something. It would be it wouldn't be like a, a like a hundred percent three count three counts. Uh, we will get into also um, how like it's like three counts. Like how do you they were talking about like how can you have three charges that are like the, for the same incident? Uh, but anyway, besides that, I thought it was going to be like two three maybe. Um, I was I wanted to watch. I was watching multiple TVs at once actually, and I wanted to see the um, like MSNBC had people on on the ground talking to people. There was a great moment where there was a gentleman uh, painting. He he was painting the uh, the what do you call that the uh, like the uh, the, t the square that people were watching the footage, and it was like a beautiful moment just with people. And he's like, "Well, it's beautiful now, but I want to see like the reaction from the verdict." Um, you know, I, I was kind of like looking watching vicariously through the people that uh, are were there w waiting for the um, the verdict because uh, I had like Fox on. I wanted to see they were they were getting ready for. The verdict, and then you had MSNBC getting ready for the verdict. Um, then, I, then like everyone else, I just watched him um, have it read out. The, ju the judge, uh, he was kind of nonchalant about it. He was like, yeah, he he read it. Uh, then I started thinking about like if I was like the jury, like I have to like stand there and say this. And I was just going, I was like trying to put myself in each person's foot in, in their shoes, basically. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I was kind of like. Uh, um, trying to try yeah, vicariously live like live to uh, other people how they're gonna respond to it. Um, I was kind of just like not, not, not numb to it, but something like that. Um, but immediately the argument was like, so, like we'll get into it. Like the justice is served now. Um, my my feeling was like, well, this is just the beginning. You know, that's what that, that was like my final thought when he was being taken away. Mm -hmm. And then you know from there we're gonna, yeah. So what about you? We I think we already talked about it, but. Well, uh, so obviously you have the three charges. So mm. I was hopeful for the highest charge. And then I was mm. also expecting the lowest charge. But I was also anticipating an acquittal because that's usually how the shit works. Um, got it, you know. Cause that's that's what happened to Trayvon Martin. It was like, all right, well, like they charged him with like some kind of thing where like to prove that, and I, that's again why I said like the prosecutors in that trial like they were half-assing it. So they charged him with something it, that yeah. some it, they charged them with something that would confuse the jurors, um, because you mm -hmm. know they give them the specific um parameters of the charges and you know you you have to decide a verdict based on that so if they say like you know he heinously you know like let's say in our trial I, i'm i don't know because we're talking about george floyd so i'm not i don't remember the specifics of the trayvon mm -hmm. trial so it's like if like the the prosecutors just for for reference like the prosecutors charged him with like murder where it's like premeditated but obviously george zimmerman was doing his neighborhood watch bullshit seeing a young black man you know minding his own business and for whatever reason felt threatened so it obviously wasn't premeditated so obviously that charge wouldn't stick so i kind of anticipated kind of the same thing here 
um or like I, I i there was the possibility of that where it's like all right well they charged him with all these things and we don't feel like those things were proved that like he did that um mm. so i was anticipating that so of course like the closing arguments were monday and the word was on friday after they they um they adjourned that the verdict probably wouldn't come until um today which is friday or over the weekend you know the next couple of days from now when we're recording so when the verdict came out so quickly you knew it was either it had to be guilty um Honest. yeah it, it had to be guilty um or it had to be one way or the other the reason i say that is because yeah, yeah. like the more time like drags on the more time that drags on is the more time there's opening for declaring a mistrial which is something they tried to do because the judge did say um that you know maxine waters um influence the case in some way shape or form which didn't make sense to me because maxine waters yeah she's a politician but she's not even a politician from minnesota she's from california so the people on the jury didn't even vote for her one way or another or vote against her so they didn't really have a uh she didn't really have yeah. an influence on the trial but you know it did drop a seed for a mistrial yeah. and as you've said mike like that's something like they could bring up in an appeal um Mm. But it also left open a hung jury. Uh, if you're not familiar with crime, with, with, with how trials work, um, like it ain't like, okay, majority rules. So if like there's 12 jurors and eight of them say he's guilty, but four of them say he's not, like, okay, he's guilty. It doesn't work like that. Literally all 12 have to agree on a verdict. And even if it's like 11 to one or 10 to two, like it has to be all 12. So the fact that it came out, I knew like it wasn't a hung jury and I knew it wasn't going to be declared a mistrial or anything like that. Um, but when it came out, you know, I actually wanted to celebrate. I was like, Ooh, I want to crack a beer. Um, I was, I was going to ask my mom if she wanted to have like a shot of whiskey to celebrate, but after the verdict came out, it's like, yeah, you felt happy, but then reality kind of sets in where it's like, for one, George Floyd is still dead. So it doesn't bring him back, but you are a little bit happy because his friends and family and loved ones, his daughter, um, they feel that gives them some kind of relief and some sort of closure um, that justice mm. was was served. Um, but again, he, he doesn't, um, it doesn't bring him back. Um, Mike, I know, I don't know if you've seen Nancy Pelosi's, um, comments where it kind of made it seem like he no. sacrificed his I, life. I'm like, I'm pretty sure George Floyd, um, martyr him. Him. yeah, they, they, he tried to martyr him and like, um, I'm pretty sure George Floyd would have preferred to live his life, um, but yeah, and then it's, yeah, it's... and you use the word relief. You use the word relief. I had that written down. I said relief, not celebration, with a question mark. You know, I was going to ask you that. You know, like that's yeah. the word I would have. Yeah, used. because um, 
this was the one time like you can't like people kept on using like sports references it's like um you can't really celebrate when you're down like 10 nothing in the bottom of the ninth and you hit like a two-run home run like it's it's, it's still like a, a battle to like come back um point being is that there's a lot more as i said three people three people got killed during this trial and after the verdict so it's clear like um the signal isn't there you know the the signal isn't there for cops to say all right like you know we need to start being a lot more professional a lot more compassionate a lot more diligent in how we do our jobs um so that's that's where i'm like you know it it, it felt more like relief than celebratory the way i think of it um uh, mike you've seen the graduate right of course okay yeah of course great movie i love the graduate um but when after the trial it felt like the end of that movie mm. for those listening who aren't familiar with it so dustin hoffman's character and Catherine ross's character um he breaks up Catherine Ross, Ross's wedding and locks the whole wedding party inside the church. And then they run out together, her in the wedding dress, him. Um, you know, they run onto this bus and then they get on a bus and they sit on a bus and they're like happy and they're smiling. And then they kind of like have like this like confused like reserved look like reality kind of sets in like all right what do we do now and actually in reality when you find out like yeah. they they never told the 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 director uh never told Dustin Hoffman and Catherine Ross that like they that that the camera was still rolling so they thought like the 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 cameras had stopped rolling and that's why they looked confused but it was left in a movie and you know people interpreted it as okay we've done this what now and you know and now what uh, yeah and a, a lot of people politicians they're saying like it's, it's been said that politicians on both sides republican democrat conservative liberal like they feel relieved because it's like oh all right this happened so there's no impetus on us to try to bring about any more kind of change because this should appease everybody like you saw the video mm, appeasement yeah you saw the video you said he was guilty guess what he was found guilty like we don't have to do any police act we don't have to try to pass this anti-lynching like listen to this mike anti-lynching act which has been on the senate floor since 1918 babe ruth was still a mm. red sock when mm. this bill was introduced and a young pup so there's no kind of um there's no in, in incentive or no initiative for them to try to pass these things and that's the scary part um because everybody they, they every everything i gotta say like everything with black people it's always a symbolic gesture and not 
any kind of like legislative legislative or um systematic um change it's always some kind of like symbolism like you know going back to mm. nancy pelosi where it's like well you know what he sacrificed himself and it wasn't for nothing like dude like it shouldn't the point it ain't the point that george floyd got justice it's the, the point that it should have never happened in the first place like right uh, i know i'm going i'm on on and on but i want to make one last point before i, I um um let you respond mike but mm. i wanted to tweet something but i felt reading it before i sent it i felt like it could be taken out of context but i'm I, this is this is the thing about Derek chauvin isn't it ironic that this man who had his knee on george floyd's neck because of forgery or using a fake 20 dollar bill and you know the man he felt the man under him was a criminal um isn't it ironic that in that picture the person i would uh, the, the person i would actually at the end of all of this be the criminal and spend actual time in jail ended up being him like i don't think the thought crossed his mind at all in those nine minutes that listen like you know, I could really like spend the rest of my life in jail for this. Like, I don't think it happened at all. And that right there, Mike, is the issue. Like, the you know, these cops, they really feel like they could do these things without impunity. And a lot of these racist whites, because look at the people forget about it, Ahmaud Arbery, where they chased him down in a in a freaking van. This is twenty twenty. They chased him down in a van, in a in a truck with a Confederate flag with a shotgun and shot him dead in the middle of the street. Oh yeah. So a lot of these people just feel like there's 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 a system of like white supremacy that's or America is built on a system of white supremacy where these people don't feel like they're gonna face any real conf- consequences for the things they do, and that's the thing that needs to change. And George um George Floyd's justice um being given to him should be the first step but it's still an uphill battle and we just got to keep moving forward and we got to keep holding these people accountable yeah i hope my 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 questions and my statements that i bring up doesn't come off like i'm being reserved or aloof or uh not cold but because in the same sense i know that this is just one moment and it's not like the end will be all um like I, I have distrust for media in general, like on the left and right. I'm always thinking like, what's the angle and like whatever. So I didn't hear about that Pelosi thing, but uh, a lot of things on the, uh, it, that's why I like watching both and just seeing how they're like presenting it to the public uh, who don't have a, don't have the opportunity to dig deeper into moments. Uh, I forgot to mention this after the, uh, the verdict was uh, officially announced and uh they were taking him out and the judge was just, you know, doing his finishing up and thinking I was, I was looking at the, the graphic and I don't have the exact uh, verbiage in the, in the, um, in the charges, but a lot of it, it can come down to accidental or a lot of it was like the wording behind it. Wasn't like, it, if I read that, I wouldn't think murder. I thought it would be like an accident or 
he's responsible. Like it was, it wasn't more so how people are presenting it where like, Oh, the murderer, like in the official documents and the verbiage, it comes off like it was um, like a workplace mishap or so that's why it felt very cold to me or just not the same um, the way it's being presented, which it's just the legality of it. But the end result is what people wanted. Yeah. So that's one of my initial reactions to it. Does it make sense? Do you remember like how it was worded? It was kind of like, uh, or kind of putting the blame, not so much entirely on the figuratively on, you know, Chauvin. Um, it was kind of like handling someone who was in a state of uh, distre- distressed or emotionally disturbed individual at the time. So it was kind of like, yeah. you remember, it, it was you remember half, the original, the original statement by the Minnesota police. It was like, Oh, a man just happened to die during uh, an arrest. I didn't really have like no kind of like substance, no no kind of like on um, context to it, and it just seemed like at some point like he just like died, like you know, Thanos like snapped him or something like that. Um, but you know, like the right, the, so- the thing about the verdict is, it's like it was like yeah, George Floyd got like justice, but like. Breonna Taylor still didn't. Um, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, Ahmaud Arbery. We still got to see if that's gonna happen. Um, Botham John Jean, Botham Jean. If if you remember that, Mike, where the police officer, she, um, went into the wrong apartment and killed this mm-hmm. man while he was like watching TV and ice cream because she thought it was yeah. her building. I mean, she thought it was her apartment and Oh yeah. yeah she, she, she was sentenced to 10 years and it's remarkable because it shows you the amount of like, you know, the, 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 the compassion uh, and the, the compassion and the forgiveness of black people because her, his brother like hugged her during the trial and the judge was a black woman she after sentencing her to 10 years to like for killing somebody think about that like people get sentenced to far more time for like drug drug charges she gave a a buy bad checks yeah yeah like forging forging forgery too well that's what that's that's what um they claim george floyd um did um but you know they they showed a lot of compassion towards her um and sympathy towards her during the trial and i remember like objectively i'm gonna say like i've lost people and i've grieved so i can't really criticize anyone for how they deal with the loss and I said it, I was like, you know, but objectively, I'm like, that was bad optics. And I understand you were trying to do the Christian gesture of turning the other cheek. But turning the other cheek means, you know, not trying to seek retribution or revenge or take the law into your own hand. Um, not wishing bad on our person or wishing, you know, the same for them as they did to you. It just means like leaving it in God's hands and God handed her some jail time. Um, but it wasn't your, your place to like, you know, hug her and like forgive her. And I just thought it was like bad optics and it just came out that she's about to appeal. And I'm pretty sure all of that, 
oh, how forgiving her family was, you know, oh, so it's clear, like, even to his family that they understand that it was a simple mistake, a simple mistake where this man, 28-year-old man, was killed. Um, They're going to use that in the appeal. But, you know, all these different people who weren't um, served justice, and in that case where it's, like, the person I perpetrated um, this murder is, like, um, she she's like, all right, well, I don't even really care. Like, I did it, and I don't need to like serve any time for it. Um, so it's just like for every George Floyd, it's like a lot more people where they they never got justice, and they're never gonna get justice. So it was nice to actually have like an outcome, a positive outcome where um justice was served. Uh, which brings me to Ben Shapiro, 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 whatever the hell. I, I just want, I want to suplex Benny. him. Like, I want to suplex him so bad. Like, I, I just want, like. A snap, a snap suplex. Like, a real quick, you know, the like the, the snap one. Like, hold him up for a while. Did you see his um video where he was, uh, like, he bought a plank from Home Depot to own the libs. And I said he was going to become like, he was going to cosplay as the kid from Ed, Ed and Eddie that had the plank that was his best friend. Um, and I was watching a video and I was just like, man, he, he's, he's about to cosplay to own the libs as um plank from Ed, Ed and Eddie. Um, but he said that in reaction to Don Lemon on CNN saying that justice was served um he was like i'm pretty sure he wouldn't have said the same thing if the ver if the verdict were the other outcome and it's just like yeah because in that case justice would not be served like the man is literally on video like remember they had the video angle from the building across the street they had the young lady who captured the who recorded it um and then they had the body cam footage of the other officers in the whole thing so it was like substantial video evidence showing that like he did the thing so it's not like it was something where it's like i don't know what's it could go either way no doubt Um, yeah and he said um so he, he was one of them and then tommy laren she was like oh like okay now you got your justice you and i was a part of a lot of people was like your justice i'm like this this is justice for everybody because tommy it, it should it's not our justice and your justice it's just justice because if all things were right george floyd if he was guilty of using fake bills and he was apprehended and arrested he would have went to jail for, or he would have been arrested for that and taken downtown and been afforded the same due process that Derek Chauvin was afforded. Like, it ain't like, you know, this was an open and shut case. He was literally given uh, his day in court, even as wrong as he was, even though he was caught in high def 4K, 8K video that he did this. Um, it shouldn't be your justice and uh, your justice and my justice. It's, it's American justice. It's, it needs to be equal. And 
she said like oh like you know what she meant by it is like that you know if the verdict was the other way around or you didn't get what you see you deemed um to be justice and he was like acquitted like you would burn down the, you would be rioting and looting and stuff like that and i'm sitting there i'm like mike since 2005 this is only the fifth police officer that was convicted and was ruled guilty out of 1500 or 15,000 i can't remember the exact number but other number is still like substantial that a lot of these guys get off and i remember i tweeted i was like if like vapid white bitches were getting killed at the rate black people were i'm pretty sure tommy laren would want to riot and loot and it's all absurd coming from tommy laren who's a huge trump supporter and you know i had her blocked on twitter so i don't know what her um opinion was of january 6th but i'm like you're talking about like even if you want to say the protests led to rioting and looting right black people are getting killed like this is a life and death thing and that's why they did that like these people stormed the capital because they didn't understand how democracy worked or they refused to accept democracy like i i i, I, or I there was no precedence well there's no precedence like that never like like they didn't realize or they realized but they didn't the accountability or like the the fallout of it like there has been a decades centuries well, let's just say decades in like the modern sense of society mm-hmm. of uh like you said assuming that the cop would be uh not guilty or some some form of uh legality saying that he was not re- responsible that was like that's the precedent that that is like how it normally is like 99 percent of the time uh this sets a precedence where it now it is different like uh going forward and i guess in august and then we're also the ones that happen in in the interim from uh that we talked about the, the three or handful of other ones that happen uh it's going to be a new uh way of trial of trial and processing of this but you said justice we were talking about justice all right so he had eric nelson he's like one of the, the most reputable uh, defense attorneys in uh, in America, U.S. I'm sure it was funded by all the PBAs, all people, yeah. Kickstarter style. Like, so he had that. George Floyd, would he have had that if he was facing some type of forgery or uh, resisting arrest? Uh, who knows what other things they would throw at him? A rhetorical question, of course. But um, what what I have a thing with with justice is. And I think I always bring this up. I always tell you money, like color green, and I always bring that up. But he would have probably stayed there for a year, no bail, maybe couldn't afford bail. Uh, he would have to plead down. So he would still have to admit guilt, even though he was innocent. If he is innocent, he still have to admit some form of guilt uh, in some way. That's why I don't think the justice system works either. It's like um, you have to admit guilt sometimes, even if you're innocent, just so you can go home, which is fucking mm-hmm. terrible, you know? And I don't mm-hmm. think that shit works. And that's why I'm not a fan of it. That's why a lot of things I say is like disjointed, maybe or like all over the place. That's because this is the most complicated thing. You know, it's very complicated. That's why I don't like the extremes on either side saying like, this is justice or, or you had your justice now, like move on and things like that. I don't like, it's such a gray area that uh, I think the conversation needs to be continuing. Um, 
And I don't want people to be like shunned if they say something that if they bring up an idea and then like immediately like their opinion is 100% invalidated now. Uh, I think it, there's so much stuff that needs to be said. And I feel like a lot, in our society, a lot of people are just like uh, long, you know, brushes, you know, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's, it's very complicated. Um, I want to bring this up too with, uh, with the defense bringing up a uh, mistrial or a, an appeal with a mistrial. Uh, the argument they're using is we brought it up with Maxine Waters, but there's been so much other instances where public figures or people in uh, like personalities who have a, like, let's say like a athlete or whatever, uh, they've said crazier things on uh, like on the right. And that was never brought up, but the thing that could be used uh, is change of venue. They didn't have the opportunity to do a change of venue where uh, the Ronnie King, um, LA, LA police trials in, the, in 92, they had a change of venue. They, and you know the outcome of that. And the other one, uh, what was the other one? Uh, was another, oh, wait, Tim, Timothy McVeigh. No, 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 that was in, that was in LA. Timothy McVeigh, uh, the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, the bomber, he had a change of venue. But uh, so that was like the last two major trials that uh, I remember even in, uh, in Colorado, they were, Kobe Bryant was trying to remember they were trying to have it out of county the county like Boulder mm-hmm. County um, so they were saying that it, like the people there would be influenced by like the local um, you know so that's basically the only real valid uh, um, reasoning behind a mistrial or a, an appeal that that's what they're saying they could they're trying to use but um, so there's a lot riding on that with the three other officers former officers that are waiting trial in August. Okay. So there's a lot going on still. There's three more, three more people riding on uh, whether or not there's an appeal. So yeah. Um, yeah. Before we wrap this up, we got to um, talk about sports or the reaction to it. Um, because a lot of outlets had, um, of course, had a lot of reaction to it. You got to remember now, like in the NBA bubble, um, as well as the NFL, MLB, um, a lot of these over the last summer, the protests, Black Lives Matter protests had a lot of influence over the sports and a lot of the African-American athletes really started using their platform um, a lot more um vibrant you know vibrantly um who needs who does deserve a ton of credit or WNBA players because they had been on the forefront on the forefront of um protesting and raising awareness to um you know racism towards African-American people because the Minnesota Lynx remember they were the first ones that you know put on for Philando Castile, who was also killed in Minnesota by uh, police. And that was another in- instance where no justice was served. Um, but one athlete in particular, early in the week, he said, you know, he actually came out on some kind of right wing uh, network or something like that and voiced his opinion that, 
you know, he doesn't want to watch sports or watch football because of the political aspect of it. Um, and that's Brett Favre. But it's funny that he said that because he had his opinion on this trial. Um, and it was kind of uh, hypocritical because he says he didn't want to use, he didn't want to, um, you know, he didn't want the political aspect of sports yet he endorsed Donald Trump in an election and you know you could say oh well he doesn't play anymore but you know he's built his um whole persona on being an athlete a, a famous athlete so he tried to use that influence to an extent to have Donald Trump reelected for president of the United States so it's very hypocritical that Oh, I don't want the, you know, nobody wants politics and sports. You know, listen, I don't want to, like, every Yankee game I watch, I, like, mute the TV during God Bless America because, and I don't even watch, like, the National Anthem and all that stuff because that stuff was there before the protests, and it didn't really need to be. I've always said you go to other countries, like, you, you go, you watch, like, a Italian soccer match, like, they don't, do the Italian national anthem or the French. The only time they do it is in international play because these are like countries coming together. But on George Floyd, Brett Favre had to say that he said that he, he doesn't think Derek Chauvin meant to kill him. Um, You know, I don't know about you, Mike, but if I have my, at, at what point in the nine minutes, of his um knee on George Floyd neck does it um is is it is it um like you know Steve Urkel did I do that because I saw like Brett Favre try to make that out to be he probably thought he was dead he knew he was dead and he was like what am I gonna do now mm-hmm. all right we we'll just stay here maybe we'll, maybe we'll go away like I said maybe I... we'll go away I'm gonna stay. Like I said, it wasn't even like he killed him after nine minutes. It was that he had his knee on his neck for nine minutes. And it's almost evident that for about three to five minutes of those nine minutes, like he, he, he George Floyd was probably already dead. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a point yeah. where, or I mean, perhaps he probably thought he was unconscious, but I think there was obviously a level of fuck it in his mind where it's like, all right, if mm. he's dead, he's dead. I'm like, he should, you know, oh, he should have just went into the car. Um, and then rem- remember, what, it was a what, point. Then, remember, there was a point. What if he had... Like, he, he was struggling inside the car. And I mean, like, me personally, mm. like... He brought him back you, out, yeah. If you've ever seen, like, a cop car, like, the back, it's very, very small um because it's meant for you not to move around so you think of his size yeah you think of his size um of course he would start panicking um and it was a point where he was in the car and he was leaning out of the from the one side to the other side he was leaning out the door and rather than like pushing him back in they pulled him back out and that's when Chauvin put his his knee on his neck um 
for the nine minutes. So to say like he wasn't, he didn't mean, he doesn't think he meant to to kill him. Um, it's just absurd. Um, what's your, what's your thoughts on that, Mike? Well, well, protocol. All right. So then I meant to bring this up too before. Uh, do you want to write? Um, like it was a. Uh, I think it was their training or something like that, but why would you handcuff someone with the door open? Like that's, that's not how you usually do it. But then if you say, Oh, the normal way would be to bring him to the sidewalk and have him lay down or sit down. But we see how that ended up with George Floyd. So even the pro- the proper protocol would have been like separate them from the car. So they couldn't pu- run, you put them on the floor and you saw how that ended with George Floyd. So mm-hmm. like, you know, even like the thing that they would, they should have been doing ended terribly, you know, terribly like so there's like just the the essence of what you're supposed to do a police officer is supposed to do and is inherently dangerous and uh problematic you know so even like how like the the most secure way it could have happened where then then you take the handcuffs up and say oh you're under arrest way from a vehicle that's open uh no chance of anything happening it still happened with george floyd like on the floor um, you know so that's what I'm saying is like where it's 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 inherently and then like problem, and I, problematic, you know. And like if his size was like the issue, like they could have called one of those buses, um, you know, the vans or yeah. or, or the trucks to, to to apprehend them. But it was just absurd to say, like, I don't think he meant like his knee was on his neck. If he wasn't meant if, if he didn't mean to kill him, Derek Chauvin clearly didn't mind him. Mm. being killed um and then you had the oakland raiders i mean part of me las vegas raiders um put out a tweet made it the mm. pin tweet which was mm. i can breathe um for 20 and a date 21 yeah um and it, it was meant i'll give it this i'll play devil's advocate and say it was meant to be a show of support but uh, Mark Davis might have been it, it, it's not out of the realm of possibility because when it happened the Raiders were in Oakland they currently play in Las Vegas but we do remember uh, Eric Garner um, a couple of police NYPD um, retirees um, had like a small little like counter protest where they wore shirts that said I can breathe because of course Eric Garner was choked out of his life by David Pantaleo. Um, so it, it was seen in poor taste, but you know, I'd been watching ESPN, I mean not ESPN, CNN from the verdict, you know, all day from the verdict afterwards when they had the family and George um Felino um Floyd who is George Floyd's brother, he says, like, he he could finally breathe. Um, I think in a sense of, like, I don't think he was saying it in essence of, like, oh, my brother couldn't breathe, so but now I can, knowing that he got justice. I think he was saying I could breathe now because he could exhale. Um, and that's where Mark Davis had gotten a tweet from. Um, but I don't know. I mean... They could have taken it down. Um, now that it has context to it, um, from both aspects, where you could, where you under, you know, it's understood now where it's like in bad taste, but at the same time, there's context where it's like, all right, 
We weren't trying to be disrespectful. We actually were doing the opposite. We were using his brother's words. So, um, you know, it's a dangerous area where, you know, where people are trying to be allies and you can't, um, you can't really hold them at fault for, or, or start nitpicking, um, how they do it. Um, I think it's one of them situations where it's like the thought that counts. So my, um, what was your reaction to yeah, that? On that note, I think for the Raiders, when I saw it, I was like in tone deaf, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I get, you just brought it up where like people are trying to get involved and, um, like what, are, like, what are we supposed to do? Like, it's kind of like everyone, it's not a shouting contest, but like everyone is trying to voice their opinions. And now it's come to the point where like, whose opinion is, okay, I want to hear yours. Don't want to hear yours. Uh, you are not in the room anymore. Or something like that. Like, it's very, very um, all over the place where I, I hear all these different voices and uh, people have this opinion of like, who's, who's, whose opinion is like valid or whatever. That's what I hear. Um, I just take everything in and, I just hear what everyone else is saying. And from there, I, you know, I hear them. I try to separate them, but you can't in a situation like this. So that's my final thoughts on it. Cause we're going to be talking about this, you know, we'll be talking about this cause this is just the beginning, yeah. which is the point of it. It's the aftermath. Yeah. It's, this is just the beginning of, you know, so we still got to look out. It's a, it's and a see. Growing, yeah. We still got to look out and see the outcome of Adam Toledo, um, Makia Bryant, uh did I say Dante Dante Wright? Um we have to see what the outcome of of the three other officers because um the other two I can't really speak to because you didn't get to see them on the tape and see what they were doing. Um other than the original um apprehension of George Floyd. But definitely the uh, Asian um, officer that was there where he was out in front and kind of like going back and forth, like keeping people from intervening and also going back and forth with the people. He's definitely one that I, you know, because I've seen what he did during those nine minutes. Um, Whereas the other two. Yeah, there's three general Thou. Yeah, and that's what I'm talking about. J. Alexander Quang, Thomas Lane. Yeah. So the other, so in our situation, it's you know, uh, Tao, it's what he was doing, which was um, being actively stopping people from intervening and also being um, verbally. Um, having verbal back and forth with you know back and forth with the 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 people who who are watching us the the witnesses but for the other two you didn't see what they were doing but what they are definitely guilty of is what they weren't doing which was trying to stop Derek Chauvin from killing George Floyd so we'll keep an eye on all of that um, and we'll see how it goes. All right. So April, you know, WrestleMania, uh, another big thing that happened with WWE is that their network went to Peacock. I was a little disappointed because 
there was so much content that I just ignored. Uh, but it was the archival. It was the older stuff that I was more interested in. The new stuff that they produced, uh, I barely watched. I mean, we on our show earlier on, we talked about uh, the Undertaker documentary. Uh, we're big fans of the uh, Stone Cold's podcast, Broken Skull Sessions. Uh, but the thing with that is Stone Cold kind of has his... Uh, he has his ability to control it. Like it's more, it's not hands-on from WWE. They let him, they let him do his thing. And when they announced the A&E uh, deal with WWE, uh, at first I was like, ah, it's just going to be fluff pieces. It's just going to be the usual, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, but I am happy that they're, they're going with a third party. Uh, like, uh, it's it, you could tell from we'll get into it, but you could tell from the new series, the biography series, A and E. The first one is Stone Cold Steve Austin, and it premiered on last Sunday night. Me and Shook watched it. We're gonna watch each one because it's a series. It's gonna last for about two months. Uh, in, initial reactions, real quick. I just want to say that I was thoroughly, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it felt kind of more of a extended version of like the DVDs, like all the information I already knew pretty much, but I liked the way they presented it. And I liked the cosmetically, it, it was very appealing to me. And I'll get into why I think so. Uh, Shug, well, uh, you watched it. Uh, what was your initial reactions to it? Uh, being a super, super Attitude Era fan. And Stone Cold was the bread and butter of that. I'm a super duper Stone Cold fan. I've always said like, it's very... I think like it's it's a handful of people like I would like be starstruck if I ever met and I would you know probably it would be like meeting Superman if I ever met Stone Cold Steve Austin um as we've detailed on the show and if you watch the Broken Skull um the the Broken Skull IPA um beer review where um Mike in, input some of the videos from when we went to WWE Monday Night Raw uh September 2019 um also if you follow us on our social media um Mike's wrestling um his wrestling account like you've seen the video and I remember I was able to get me a mic tickets to go to Raw. Found out Stone Cold Steve Austin was going to be appearing on Raw. Um, basically hosting Raw. And I'd only been to one other wrestling event before. And it was during the time Stone Cold had to take some time off of TV. So he wasn't, he wasn't active. So I missed him then. So it was cool. I wish I could have got to see him like actually wrestle and perform, but it was cool to see him in person for the first time. And I've always been a fan. Um, all of the t-shirts that I wanted as a kid now that I could afford them as an adult and WWE still produces them. I've been able to wear them. I mean, to buy them and you've seen me wearing them on episodes or videos of this. Uh, Mike has the shirt that we, um, that we bought that were special occasion for that night. Uh, he got one, I got mine as well. You've seen me wear that shirt too. 
so I'm a huge Stone Cold fan. So when I found out about the A&E documentary, um, the biography series, it used to be a huge deal way back in a way back when we were young. Um, you know, it would mm. be like biography. It would be E True Hollywood story. Um, where you'd get to know about these people that you're fans of or um, you you were interested in. Uh, so I was really excited to see um, Stone Cold talking and having his peers talk about him. Uh, Undert- of course, Undertaker was involved. Now that he's retired, he, you know, he now could appear on these things and actually, you know, talk and, and do interviews and stuff like that. Mick Foley, who's somebody I'm, I'm, I have great admiration for. Uh, Vince was involved. Uh, Bruce Prichard. Uh, who else was on there, Mike? Triple H. Triple H, of course. Telling Triple H, stories. Yeah, was, yeah. The most surprising person I saw involved in there was The Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and, his admiration and his respect. Yeah. Oh man, and I, I hope I'm not jumping too far. What you 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 have um planned, but when he and Stone Cold, where him and Steve Austin were talking about their final match, and you know, I actually got like emotional. I like I I, I cried a little bit. It was it was it was a emotional thing because um. I think of it this way, every, you know, in wrestling or any line of business, like it's always like that top guy and Stone Cold really could have like been like, all right, I'm Stone Cold and I'm going to be the top guy. I'm not going to, you know, share this spot with anybody else. But I think he realized with, you know, The Rock that, both of them could be the top, you know, superstars in WWE and it will be more beneficial for each of them. And it would be more beneficial for WWE for both of them to, to share that, that spotlight, you know, it's something that Hulk Hogan, who basically ran WWE from the mid to late eighties into the early nineties he never really shared the spotlight with anybody else. And that's why, like, once he left WWE, there was, like, a huge, like, vacuum. And the product got kind of, like, bad. And I think, Mike, you said, like, that's, you know, around that same time, like, the new generation era, that's when you kind of, like, fell out with WWE yeah, and well, then jumped back in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we have Hulk Hogan, like, he... he he passed the symbolic torch, but it was more of like a placeholder because he was making movies uh, in the back of his mind. He always knew he was going to come back. He thought he was going to come back when he left in 93. He thought he would come back in 94, but he went to WCW instead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah. So at, at that point, I like get 95, 96 and 90, like 90, like late 95, 96, 97. I didn't watch. And when I started watching again, I, I talked about this. I think I just talked about this last week with DMX or two weeks ago. Uh, I started watching wrestling again with my brother. And it was December 97 and Stone Cold was doing his thing where he was, he was injured, but he was starting the holding with McMahon, which is like the biggest angle ever. Like mm-hmm. He was just doing promos pretty much at that point. Uh, but that's, you know, hi- you know, highlighted here perfectly. So 
I can get emotional too if I think about it. Not for the fact of like of watching like a match or whatever. It's remembering Monday nights, uh, watching it with my brother, like it was Stone Cold, and then and The Rock, um, and then uh, you know we'll get into the final match he had. Uh, but I want to talk about just numbers wise. You know, Sunday nights are for the last twenty years have been the main night for TV. You know, old school TV, like sitting down and appointment watching TV. Uh, Stone Cold's biography won the night. Uh, it was actually, yeah, it won the night. It beat um, uh, Housewives of Atlanta. Uh, there was a new show on Food Network. Uh, you're a fan of the Food Network and all that. Uh, mm-hmm. Torment of Champs. I watched. I was watching that too prior, like the uh, the lead up episodes. Property Brothers, another popular one. I won the night though. I was able to watch the Stone Cold thing live and not Property Brothers, which was usual thing on Sunday nights. Uh, but yeah, it's the highest numbers a had in 16 years. Wow. Yeah, really? Yeah. I'm not sure what that was 16 years ago. I don't, what they had back then was Dog the Bounty Hunter and um, Intervention shows like that. So I'm not sure what uh, we, I'll look that up. Uh, yeah, the only but thing I watch on a and is like First 48. Well, and I haven't even watched yeah, it in years. We used to watch it a lot when we were in, when I was in college. Um, to kill, you know, when we were watching TV. Yeah, I was an SVU, SVU guy during those times. <laughs> That'd be on like forty hours a day. Uh, yeah, but I said it was like a third party thing adventure, which is great because uh, I think it's a win win for everyone. Um, WWE is making money off this because they sold like their intellectual properties to A and E, and you know, they're, they're it's a partnership. Uh, they're with Peacock now. That's a partnership. They had great numbers the first night of WrestleMania with Bianca and Sasha. Great numbers, apparently. Uh, so it's like working out. We're not going to be able to watch a lot of the archival stuff for a long time on the network. Uh, it's going to be like new things. But I'm happy that we have this uh, because uh, I looked into who created it. And it looked great, right? Cosmetically, it looked beautiful. It has uh, people from 30 for 30. Okay. Uh, a lot of the producers from there, yeah. And then also another one of my that predates ESPN's Thirty for Thirty is the HBO Sports. We are big fans of the HBO Sports. Remember the old the baseball ones, the ones with uh, Robert Moses and like the uh, Dodgers and Giants. A lot of those people are working on this. Yeah, so in yeah, show, I watch those on HBO Max. Yeah, I watch those on HBO Max. They have all of them now, and then the WWE Network. Since it's moved to Peacock, I haven't really watched. Um, I used to like to watch the WWE WWE Network. Like I, I remember I told you like one time when we were talking about Eddie Guerrero, where I was watching, you know, all the like two thousands like pay per views just because I was curious. But like on Peacock now, they have commercials, and if you want to watch it without commercials you basically be paying like the same amount you paid for the wwe network so it it, it doesn't have a lot of incentives Mm. so i'll probably only be watching when there's like pay-per-views and and stuff like that for the five bucks uh yeah and so going into this um has a he's like one of the early wrestling podcasts out there i think he's been doing it since like um like seven years maybe like 2013 Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the stuff he revealed on that show. Uh, also, you know, I um, I never read his book, but he had a uh, an autobiography during the time when he left um, in the mid two thousands. He came out with one, like early two thousands. So mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of the stuff. Um, he's a very private individual. Uh, going into this, I was wondering what they would talk about. 
because uh, if you think about it, Stone Cold, like no one, his his person his persona supersedes like his, him, the man Steve Williams. Uh, out of like, we all know like Terry Bollea and all the things that happened in his life. Even though he's like a super, he's like right up there with him with as like the personality of Hulk Hogan. We know so much about Terry Bollea. We don't know so much about Stone Cold's personal life, uh, aside from like his DVDs and stuff from like 20 years ago. It's expanded on it. Uh, Cause I knew about that he was from Texas and he was a uh, college, you know, college football for a while. And he was a big fan of Houston wrestling. I knew all that already. Uh, so they jump into that right away. Um, but I didn't really know a lot about his like family dynamic. Uh, I know that um, from his podcast, he said that uh, uh, he has, a, he grew up in a, uh, he had a stepfather and like uh, maybe one or two half siblings. Uh, they didn't touch about that, but I liked the, the A and E uh, episode because it showed like the dynamic of him uh, as a teenager that you never really mm-hmm. get to see him like that, like yeah. his uh, dedication to working out. Uh, I had no idea that he was like practicing his auto autograph. Like he he wanted to be a wrestler. Like uh, like he's oh I want to be famous. I, I can't be a country singer. I can't be a musician. Uh, I can't play an instrument. I want to be a wrestler though. And I always like that when people who put that in their head and like they actually achieve it. I always mm-hmm. admire that. Um, so that's like the early on. They kind of jump ahead though to like the early, uh, the late '80s, early '90s. Uh, did were you familiar with his background with uh, USWA, like his like, first first uh, territory days? I was familiar with it when I did like my research into um the Von Erichs because um. I forgot which Von Eric it was. The one that was like kind of like the diminutive one. Um. Oh wait, Mike. The one who was like kind of small, and he 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 yeah he was kind of like out of place, and he ended up killing himself. Also, um, mm-hmm. you know, very tragic family. But it used to be that like, um, Stone Cold or Steve Stunning Steve. Austin, as he was known, um, like he would pair up with like Dutch, Mar- um, Dutch Mantel, Martel, Mantel, Dutch Mantel, Dutch Dutch Mantel, and it would be you know that brother and I forgot who it was. So what they would essentially do is like Stone Cold. They would have like an actual like you know wrestler like Stone Cold's type. Um, I think it used to be one of the Von Eric, the other Von Eric brothers, but some it was somebody else. It was another wrestler. Kevin. Yeah, it was it was like one of them, but I think it was like another wrestler who wasn't a Von Eric that they used to team up against um, Stone Cold and Dutch Mantel, where like Dutch would go in when you know that Von Eric brother was in a ring and then Stone Cold would come in when, you know, the actual wrestler would come in. And this was like a mid card type of thing. So that's where I was like familiar with him when he was in USWA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, maybe one of the gentlemen, uh, gentlemen, Chris Adams, his trainer, uh, they kind of glossed I, over his relationship with him. Actually, I think that's who it was. Yeah, probably. I think I seen that clip. Yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah, so he, um, uh, Stone Cold was trained by him. Um, he, he showed up to the uh, Sportatorium in uh, 
Texas and uh, like remember Undertaker's documentary on WWE he mentioned how uh, he showed up at the guy's house Buzz Buzz Sawyer Uh, basically it was like a money it was like a money uh, gain for these guys like hey show up there give me like a thousand bucks and I'll train you sometimes they would just like fleece them and run away Mm -hmm. yeah scam like a money yeah like a way to make money Um, get the rubes get the marks tire them out and then send them on their way and then bring the next ones in and Callaway, Mark Callaway, Undertaker was the only one who like lasted. Stone Cold was the only one who lasted. So he started, you know, and he wasn't smart enough or anything. Um, like Dutch Mantel was like, um, I'll go out there. And he was like telling him all the stuff. And uh, he was like, he's like, calm the f- like, calm down, like calm down. Like this is, a, this is a work. And that's how he learned. Um, yeah. But the, his uh, trainer was Chris Adams and they, they, they talk about it. Um, and that's the whole thing going into this. I want more, you know, cause I like, um, I read all these books, you know, I think I know all the things about these guys' lives and like the backstage stuff. And I wanted to see how, how in depth they would go. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they didn't mention that, um, he ended up with Chris Adams' ex-wife. Mm-hmm. They did acknowledge that, um, he, he's the stepfather of, uh, one of her daughters mm-hmm. in, in the UK. Uh, that was interesting that they, they, talked about that and she was um, the one that came up with the very... she's the one that came up with stone cold because they they also yeah. talked about that too like mcfoley was like you know how awful stone cold's gimmick ideas were, were because i could remember all of them and i can't even remember like the bad ideas that they had for him um you know he was talking about like fang mcfrost and I, yeah, Chili uh, McFreeze. <laughs> yeah, Chili McFreeze and stuff like that, and it's just yeah. like his his um wife at the time handed him or was drinking tea, and it was just like it's it's gonna be I gotta drink it before it's Stone Cold, and then she was like that's that's the name like, right there, Stone Cold, um yeah. and it stuck. Yeah, because he got the idea from yeah. the Iceman, um Richard Kuklinski, who was a mob assassin who was very uh he he actually was a family man during the day and you know on the weekends and at nights you know mob you know the mafia the new york and new jersey mob would assign him to go and kill people and he would kill them and then wake up the next day and just be you know dad and like loving husband so that's that's where they got Iceman because he would instantly turn into this whole this cold-hearted killer so that's where Stone Cold got the idea he was like all right like I gotta be like this badass dude and it like resonated you know Mike said he got into it like in December got back into it in 1997 um when Stone Cold started being Stone Cold again and then for me, I got into it the next year, 1998, when it was kind of like the when they really, really leaned into the McMahon um, Stone Cold dynamic because McMahon, when I jumped in, McMahon had taken the WWE Championship, basically screwed him out of it, and every week it was entertaining. And I always like say. It's funny as hell that they talked about it in the thing. I was like, the single funniest uh, thing I've ever watched on wrestling, and it never gets topped. 
is when, and it's for a split seconds, when he attacks Vince in the hotel room, I mean, the hospital room, and he takes the bedpan and hits, stone, hits Vince, just, just like the sound and Vince's reaction and falling out of bed. It, it always, it's always funny as hell to me. But I think the thing they didn't really like talk about was how like Vince became, um, the you know went from being the ring announcer on TV and you know the guy that you know the chairman of WWE into like this character and you know what it was was the Montreal Screwjob, where he basically um, went out of character and became on screen you know, just doing something like, which was very much real. He didn't want Brett going to WCW with his championship. Um, but he did it on live TV, on pay-per-view at the end of the the Survivor Series. And it just, and then he did the interview um, afterward, the Brett screwed Brett. And then from there, you know, it was like, all right, this very real um this very real antagonistic relationship I had with Brett leaving, you know, what if we do that on TV and I have it where okay, this guy he's gonna be the champion, but he's gonna be the champion the way I wanna be the champion and we're gonna go back and forth and it it just made for interesting television because everybody felt that way. And I think I always thought I think like to this day, like my you know, issues with like authority, so to speak, where I'm just like, all right, like you're like my boss, but you're not in charge of me. Like I'm gonna do whatever's best for me. Like it came from watching Stone Cold because everybody had that feeling where it's like, man, I wish I could hit my boss over the head with a steel chair. Um, so I think that's why he kind of drank during work. <laughs> yeah, and, and he really, really that's another thing. I probably if it weren't mm-hmm. for Stone Cold Steve Austin, there would be no sugar reviews the bruise because I started drinking. I, I I started drinking beers just like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Obviously not as a kid, but when I got older. Um, but I think that's where he, his character really like catapulted, and all the stuff they covered was like, you know, something I learned in the last decade, which was that that initial spot with him winning King of the Ring was meant for Triple H. And it was punishment because mm-hmm. of the curtain call at Madison Square Garden. Right. Another big moment. Yeah. So like the dynamic of like your boss. Uh, but when you're like when you're like eight or nine, uh, you know, that could be your teacher. That could be your, your your guardian, your parent, you know, like and then it grew with you. And now it could be like you against whatever, you know, mm-hmm. that's that dynamic The art imitating life with Bret Hart. They turned that into, you know, money. And it was based off of pretty much like the real life relationship between Vince had with other uh, past uh, talent. Um, yeah, and then you mentioned the scene with the, uh, the 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 bedpan scene, which is also the birthplace of Mr. Sacco. It was a big moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so so they showed footage of them preparing for that, and like, they showed Stone Cold like trying to like figure out like what's the best spot where I can hit him with it, make it look real, but not hurt him. And that's the stuff I was so into while watching this uh, episode because 
they have all this uh, all this footage and like alternate angles and archival footage uh like and the things opens up with um them doing like a a, a promo with stone cold and he's like you know, how you separate steve austin from stone cold and like he goes into his whole uh spiel with it and then he goes like let me when i fuck that up let me do it again you know, that type of thing mm-hmm. i like that because like, they have all this hours and hours of stuff and WWE, their mentality might be like, hey, let's not show that. Like, why are we showing that? But like, they gave uh, the people involved in, in producing this, like, all this content that they could work, you know, they could use. And if you're away from, like, you know, you're away from WWE and you see this, oh, this is interesting. This is like, let's show this. Because these people are coming from more of a dramatic sports uh, presentation, which is the same thing as this. Uh, they're they're using it their lens they would show like maybe like larry bird like backstage stuff of him like hurting like holding his back and stuff and like nba would would only show him doing three pointers and like layups they wouldn't show the whole whole, like the the drama that's off the court or out of the ring that's Mm -hmm. what i i'm really excited for the next seven Uh, but we'll get into that uh so then um you know we can jump ahead to uh the success um winding down because uh, mm-hmm. we all know what happened like in circa 2000 you know uh, i got to see him live in 98 on my, on my birthday that was one of the great moments um i didn't see him again until um like 2018 i think mm-hmm. um so you know i was able to see him in both times so uh you said you missed out on it because he was he took his i didn't say took his ball and went home so they talked about that which was uh, a big part of uh stone cold's legacy that only more so recently they've been talking about on podcasts and everything. That's when I stopped watching it again. I stopped watching it that month, like June, mm-hmm. July of 2002. And um, I'm not sure like how I would have responded to seeing Stone Cold lose in 2002. Like if it actually went down where Stone Cold and Brock Lesnar had this one-off match in a King of the Ring, um, you know, King of the Ring, uh, uh, semi-final or final, sometimes to get into the king of ring or something like that and now that i'm saying it that actually is like really apropos and like poetic where like, like brock lesnar would have beat stone cold and become king of the ring um maybe they should have kept that for the pay-per-view and yeah. um actually, hindsight yeah i actually had some like dream booking um ah, in yeah. relation to that because he he was um he was actually right and I think people um you know Vince at the time kinda made it seem like he was being like a prima donna um and not wanting to put Brock over where in actuality he's like I would have did the job. It's just why am I doing it on Monday Night Raw in a King of the Ring qualifying match? So I had to like look back on, you know, the I had to look back in in you know the lead up to it, and how they could have probably did it better. Um, he had been coming off a underwhelming match with Scott Hall in WrestleMania 18, which of course that WrestleMania was. You know, the same one where The Rock and Hulk Hogan had the Icon versus Icon match. And that basically was the story about WrestleMania. So it's very much forgotten. 
that you know Stone Cold even like I couldn't even remember until I looked it up. I was like, who did Stone Cold end up um facing? And it was Scott Hall. Um, and then the following month, he lost to Undertaker in a number one contender match for the undisputed um championship. And I was at Backlash. So my idea was I'm thinking like, okay, he had this forgettable match um coming off of where he's like the face of the attitude era and a big guy. Like, but everybody's talking about Hulk Hogan and The Rock. So it's like everybody forgot about Stone Cold. Then the following month, he loses to Undertaker in this number one contender match. So he's back-to-back pay-per-views. Like, it's a win, but it's not really a great match. And then he loses, you know, basically that might have been his last chance at the WWE Championship because he he didn't have any other title reigns after that. So my... Also, mm-hmm. wait, we'll cut you off. Other people know this, too, because now you have me thinking. You got to remember, in 2002, uh, it was one title, the Undisputed Belt. So uh, if Stone Cold uh, was on Raw... He would have to wait an additional month anyway in the storyline, like because it went from SmackDown to Raw, SmackDown to Raw, like because the pay per views were weren't back to back. They were every other month was a Raw pay per view. So he, he already in his head was winding down, and he was like, "All right, so that's six months instead of twelve months. I get to work, uh, try to get back into a storyline with the belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, time was cutting short. So that's uh, that helps. It. Yeah, okay, cool. I'm, I'm into this. What else? So my idea was 2002 six years removed from him winning King of the Ring, because I was always, like, the mystery to me. I was like, what the hell would, you know, because the King of the Ring is kind of, like, for, like, up-and-coming guys and, like, the mid-card guys. It's not really for, like, former WWE champion, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, Because Lord knows, like, it wasn't putting freaking Hulk Hogan in no King of the Ring match. Um, you wasn't putting Triple H in no King of the Ring match at the time. Um, so my thing was, I could you could have booked it in a way where Stone Cold could have said, you know what, I won King of the Ring in 1996, 1996. I won the championship. I, I won main event at WrestleMania. I won the championship. I'm the only person to walk out of WrestleMania um, twice as champion. I mean, not even twice, three times he main evented WrestleMania and walked away with the WWE Championship. He was the only three time Royal Rumble winner. So he had all of these accolades. So after losing to Undertaker and having uh, a match that wasn't good and already overshadowed by his predecessor in Hulk Hogan and his contemporary rival in The Rock, he could have said, you know what? I'm gonna go into the. I'm gonna enter the King of the Ring, the King of the Ring tournament, and show that I'm still, after six years, still King of the Ring, and then have him go through the tournament, and you know, either the final, because you know this was at the time when they would only have like the semifinal match and the final match at the King of the Ring pay per view, and this was actually the last King of the Ring, um, the last King of the Ring pay per view that year. So I'm thinking like in a final or a semifinal, you have him go against Brock Lesnar and, you know, he he already has this storyline where he's 
trying to be he's he's showing that he's the king of the ring still and then have him lose to Brock either in a semifinal match or the final match and then it would have been the passing of the torch because it'd have been like all right I'm I guess I'm not the king of the ring this guy is now but his beef and the reason why he didn't want to do it anymore is because it's like why the hell am I going to lose to the quote-unquote next big thing on regular ass tv you know like who knows it might have not even been the main event of raw that night so that's it wasn't promoted got. either exactly yeah it wasn't even promoted yeah it was just going to be tight they would have the graphic of him like doing this whole like this whole thing tonight we have stone cold you know and and uh and brock lesnar you know the I, that would have been just a throwaway thing um but in my mind too i'm thinking it wasn't it was it wasn't enough time had passed like with hulk hogan too that was crazy that they actually pulled that off with the rock because not enough time went by for you to feel nostalgic about it like stone cold was still like he was still like doing his thing and in his mind his mind it was like he was still going but his body was saying no like he like he like he was still like an active uh, t- uh, roster member, but uh, like we have that hindsight of like, wow, how dramatic would that have been, Brock Lesnar? Because we know who what Brock Lesnar became to. We know what happened with him, um, and with Soho, we know like this was like him had, running sunset. You know, he had a huge push. Like remember, I, Paul Heyman was this. He's the next big thing. He's the next mm-hmm. big thing. And I remember that I used the to be free my- agent. Yeah. That used to be the thing where I was like, all right, like that's the thing that frustrate frustrated me with Brock's initial run because if like he won, I think he won the Royal Rumble, he won King of the Ring, they made him WWE champion. He might have not won Royal Rumble. Hmm. I might, I might. Triple but, H did, but he Triple did. H, Triple H came back. He yeah, so he had the big push and it was kind of like the same way on how like people get pissed at like Roman Reigns like oh like you're forcing this guy on me you're forcing this guy on me and like it makes you not really like him so I I mean I don't know I think like the storytelling like him going to King of the Ring and him like I think even then like if you would have just had him beating Stone Cold Steve Austin in in a King of the Ring qualifying match like it's not even like a quarterfinal match. It's like the qualifying. It's just for you to get into the tournament. So it's not even like part of the actual tournament. So if you had him beat Stone Cold Steve Austin on regular TV on a Monday night in a qualifying match, like that would have made me even more like, all right, I'm not into this guy. And I think we both agree, like this is a time when we both kind of like stop watching wrestling again. And so it started to get stale to us, and we we had to step back too. And then we eventually came back the next year when uh, Stone Cold came back and had what we didn't know at the time. And I don't think anybody really knew at the time was going to be his last match. I didn't even realize like that was, you know, WrestleMania 19 against The Rock was his last match until like I realized he literally never wrestled again after it. Just did a couple appearances like he did WrestleMania 20. Um but yeah, that was a that was a cool moment because uh, I wasn't really watching. So, um, like we can get into the whole thing where he completely was buried. Stone Cold was completely buried, uh, like not even in storyline mode. They were saying that Steve Austin like took his ball, and went home. 
they did a whole they had like jr like say that he was selfish they completely buried his character and they also buried the man like it was like a real life thing that vince was trying to um just kill so that he wouldn't have any hollywood uh capital like he would like just shit on the man that's what that was like a real thing and then they worked it out and then six months later he came back wrestlemania 19 uh that's one of the ones the rare ones i haven't really seen as much but it seems to be a really great one um and then he, in WrestleMania 20, ironically, it was uh, Goldberg and Brock Lesnar. Uh, you've seen that before, where he was like the special enforcer, mm-hmm. and he had the he had the last hurrah. He stunned them both. They were both leaving, yeah. and that was kind of like his like you know goodbye moment. There was chances for him to come back here and there. They didn't really talk about it on the documentary. He kind of uh, he kind of hesitated, and he 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 did the rare thing where he never showed up again. He did the occasional WrestleMania, hey, how you do? When we were there, uh, I said I saw Raw 25. I, I, I got to see him again. Uh, stunned all the McMahons. Me and you got to see him uh, later that year, uh, the next year. Uh, He's think, embracing that role, you know. I think like he he got in a mode where a lot of um, athletes. You see it a lot in sports too, where it's like I could come back, but. Mm. I don't know if I could top how I came back, like much in the same way, like with Michael Jordan, right? A lot of people want to hit their last moment of Michael Jordan playing to be him, you know, shooting over um, Byron Russell. But in actuality, his last moment was like a meaningless game against like the Philadelphia 76ers um when he was on the wizards and they didn't even make the playoffs so i think like it's that um it's that air of self-awareness and like mortality where you just like you know if i come back like it's not gonna be great i mean we watched it with like undertaker where he said like he wanted to leave or he wanted to retire so many times but every time he came back it like was a it wasn't as good of a match and he wanted like a really good match to leave on and he felt last year in that boneyard match against AJ Styles that he finally got that moment where he could just ride off into the sunset um and actually was like by circumstance because of the pandemic that it was more of a like cinematic match rather than an actual wrestling match yeah, and then uh, Shawn Michaels, uh, he he wrestled at the Saudi Arabia show, and I read an article like a month ago where he was like, "I completely regret that. I should have not have done that." You know, mm-hmm. like he did it for a payday, you know, but uh, we don't count that, I guess. That's like a, a non-canon, I guess, because mm-hmm. uh, Shawn Michaels would have been the one that you would Shawn- think that wouldn't come back, because you know, Shawn Michaels, if he don't got here, <laughs> I don't count it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I remember when I seen him ball yeah, for no hair, so was no like, hair, yeah, no. I'm I'm not, yeah. Yeah, mine was uh, it was actually the first meme I ever made for he's gonna puke. It was like three years ago, like in 2018 March. Sweet dot chin music, and it was him like in the barber chair like this. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> my god, uh, but it looks good now with the little shade head. But yeah, um, then Stone Cold did the thing, you know, like in the 2000s, like doing the movies. Um, he did all the shows. He did all the things that um, like Hulk Hogan did. You know, he he did the the Rock did. You know, the Rock took it to the next level of course 
Um, mm-hmm. But it was great to see The Rock show admiration, and then Stone Cold showed the same back to him. Uh, it's so cool to see The Rock actually do do things. Like he's been on like every single thing you see about wrestling. Like he has something to say. Like he'll be there. He'll he'll uh, he's like the voice. Uh, I feel like he's like he, he he's taking on this role of uh, casual and the entertainment and like non fans, and he's like yeah. kind of like the filter. Well, yeah, you know, like he always did that too back then. When he'd be like, yeah, you know, you know, like he'll like. He'll like oh say something about it, like it's fake and stuff and but he's like the, he's like the ambassador he's like the filter that he'll he's legit he knows all about the real sh- he's like the you know legacy and he did a generation and he did the interview yeah. from his like he did the interview from like his trophy room and I mean I don't know if you I know you were talking about it on um the other show you were doing where they were talking about Young Rock and I watch Young Rock every week I love it amazing show i hope it keeps going on and on i hope like the second season because they cover his, him as a child him as a teenager and him at the university of miami so hopefully next year they'll add in like his first couple years in in um wwe then wwf but it, it it's um it's, it's kind of off topic but it had like a scene and it's, it's been like on my mind like ever since i watched it where like he was a when he was a teen he used to steal clothes from the mall so that he would look rich where his you know family was was actually like struggling financially and his mom found out and she's like she's like dewey why would you be stealing from the mall? And then he starts to explain, and like his mom, before he finish, she finishes. I mean, before he finishes, she's like, "It doesn't matter that you. It doesn't matter why you sold for the mall." And I was like, and I, it's been on my mind because I'm like, wouldn't it be crazy if like that's really where he got it doesn't matter from? Like his mom just like, you know, um, chastising him and scolding him. Uh, but back to to this thing. Um, yeah, when they talked about and they had the you know, like you said, you got the extra footage where it was like the close up because you could hear them like explaining, like, oh, I said this to him, um, da, 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 da. but they had the close up of the end of the match after the rock pinned him, and he was like, I leaned over to him and I whispered in his head, I just want to, and it was very emotional. And this is the part where I like cried a little bit I was he was like you know if it wasn't for you um none of this would be possible like I would not be where I'm at right now and I just want to say thank you and I love you and those who really have like a very like real life like friendship and they've been they've been friends like since like um, even before they started working together, like the rock always, you know, Stone Cold said, like he always used to tell the rock, he's like, there's something there. Like there's something with this kid. Like I got to work with this kid. And um, it, it was beneficial for them. It was beneficial for WWE. It was beneficial for us in the WWE universe. Exactly. And Stone Cold is a good, his best friends pretty much in the business apparently are, you know, you got the rock Goldberg and mm-hmm. like Kevin Nash, like th- these are the guys he associates himself with, and they t- he, like he talks, he says he talks to them like during the week, uh, mm-hmm. and they're, these guys are all, all big ego, big forces in the business, and uh, I think if you can read between the lines that Stone Cold was going through some stuff then, personal stuff, uh, he admitted uh, that you know he was drinking too much, 
Um, he also, you know, he, he had the injuries. So that, like, psychologically, he's like, I could have done so much more. They didn't talk about it, though. He never really um, had the opportunity to uh, make amends with Owen Hart. And that, uh, he doesn't talk about it, but maybe that, like, he never had the opportunity to, like, kind of, like, because uh, I think Owen was, like, distant. Mm-hmm. And he felt a little uneasy that he, like, he, he was kind of, like, brushed under the, uh, under the carpet. And that's something that, you know, maybe he's a little repressed. And we're like, wow, I never really had closure on that. Mm-hmm. But uh, Stone Cold still, um, you know, everyone always says that Mount Rushmore, um, not in the ring, because like even you, you don't like really matches. You just like the personalities and promos and stuff. I like I take into account post career too. Uh, I, I watching his podcast, listen to his podcast, man, for almost a decade. Uh, he, it's I'm glad that he's still around and he's, he's still like well, he's like he's childhood. Big, it was big into him, and uh, he still is. I like his attitude. Uh, I like his demeanor. Uh, he was able to survive post career, and like The Rock, a lot of the younger guys should look up to Stone Cold too. And I'm glad that he's able to bridge the gap between uh, old school pro wrestling and still be relevant today. So, mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, they they there's obviously some things they didn't cover. Like, well, you know, they they talked about his his daughter a little bit, and he said like, you know, they they still have a, a relationship that they're like work you know it's it's still like a work in progress and really talk about his marriages his initial marriage that we discussed a little bit didn't really talk about his marriage to um deborah mcmichaels um of which also you know like we're fans of his but you also have to acknowledge um some of your idols flaws and he actually had like some domestic violence. So, and I don't know the details about it. Um, and, you know, that stuff wasn't discussed, but he is married to somebody else now. Um, and I think they've been together for like good 15 or 16 years. Um, but they didn't even have her on there or discuss her. But, you know, I, I did learn a lot of things that I didn't know before. And like, I didn't know. He had so many siblings. I didn't know about, you know, him growing up and playing football and, and stuff like that. But it's, it's crazy. The one thing where he was talking about, like, you know, I used to rent out like a, a motel room and the only thing I could eat is like potatoes. Like, and he was talking about like mm. raw potatoes, raw potatoes and tuna fish. And then he said, like, after a while, I couldn't even afford, like, tuna fish anymore. So it was just raw potatoes to, like, you know, these Stone Cold Steve Austin is probably worth, like, like tens of millions of dollars, if not even more. And one thing I got to say, too, is, like, because I love Broken Skull Sessions. The only ones I don't really care for is the ones with, like, the current wrestlers or at least at least people that became like relevant in the last decade so i didn't watch like the sasha banks or Mm. drew mcintyre's but i love when he talks to like chris jericho randy orton um kane undertaker bret hart rick flair jerry lawler like all of those are interesting and he is such a fantastic interviewer like he asked the right questions like i've never watched one of his broken school sessions and was like all right like he oh like he didn't cover this part like they covered like they cover everything um he's phenomenal in that respect like he's 
found his calling and then he he said as much on on the document on biography yeah you should go back and listen to his audio podcast with mjf uh, it was in character and it's really funny it's from like 43 years ago uh mm -hmm. you know like 2018 2019 very funny stuff uh and like they they you know which is great because Stone Cold he has he positioned himself where he's still WWE all, all the way and he can still go he can still like uh, do podcasts and he can still uh, interact with the rest of the pro wrestling world because he'll admit himself that he he likes pro wrestling he's a pro wrestling fan mm -hmm. and uh, so now we have seven more of these to go um, and then we didn't even mention that they have another show it's a four hour block uh, we'll get into that another time um, but it's more like a porn stars porn stars American Pickers style uh, you know scripted uh docu series but in the same sense i love seeing the, the memorabilia we can get into another time yeah um, i got it on my dvr i still gotta watch it so yeah well yeah so then this is going to be we're going to talk about it uh the next seven episodes um it's going to go until june this is this is fun stone cold um it was a great way to lead it off next week we got another one and we're going to hit you with that and our our, our opinions on that mm -hmm. final thoughts mike yeah, we had a lot to talk about this week. Um, I, I I said it a bunch of times during um, during this topic with uh, Derek Chauvin. Um, it's very complicated, and at the other hand, it's very simple. Uh, that's why it's 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 a huge deal in everyone's mind. Um, I I say it's not a cop out when I say uh, um, you know it's not like a easy thing to say where I'm just like oh it's too complicated you know there's not one answer. Uh, I feel like every time I, I try to talk about it, I take all these different stances. I, I take different angles, but I think it's, uh, I think it's just so all over the place in my head. Um, I know sure you have your own opinions on it too, but I'm still figuring out like, like it's like juggling all these different things, and um, it, it it feels like it should be easier, but it's not. Um, which is a, a sad thing to say, like where people's lives are in, always in danger and um i hate coming i hate coming at it from like an academic or like a uh or like non-emotional way um in a, in a in something that is very very real and emotional that's that's the dynamic and the thing i juggle when i think about it uh and with stone cold again uh, i'm very happy that there's so much wrestling content out there because it's an escape for me. Uh, it's also just like how people love baseball. I grew up on it. Uh, it. It may sound like I'm like bitching or I'm complaining about it, but I just, it's just something I grew up on. And it's, it's fun for me. Uh, when I used to apply to WWE and I used to get interviews and stuff phone interviews, I always said that WWE in general is like the epitome of entertainment, uh, art, athletics. It was just, it's so many things in one um then another the end uh, we're talking about this a and e show there's also the show dark side of the ring these two series are going to be on at the same time and i'm excited to watch them both uh and see how they both handle it um because even how great it is and how much fun it's given me and uh something to watch and uh camaraderie like watching with you or watching with my brother there's also very negative sides to this business and this lifestyle and i think that's one of the things that has constantly been there where i'm drawn to it because it's like tragedy and like victory and celebration and uh these personalities it's just 
I'm surprised like what people don't care about it or they don't, you know, have any interest in it. Cause I think it's just the most like, it's like superheroes. It's like sports. It's, it's like Godfather drama. It's like everything in one. Um, and with the Stone Cold one, I'm very happy for the first one. And I look forward to the remaining episodes. All right. Chug. Final thoughts. Um, George Floyd. I'm happy and I pray for peace for his family and his loved ones. Um, that they, they have some kind of like closure. We still got to watch out and see what the sentencing is. We still got to watch out and see what happens to the other three officers who did nothing to stop um, Derek Chauvin from killing George Floyd. Uh, so we, we got to keep an eye out on that. And, you know, like they said, like a lot of politicians are like relieved because now it feels like um, we've been appeased, but there's far more legislation and a lot more discussions um, and a lot more progress that's left to be made. And, you know, the results from uh, April 20th, 2021 on uh, the verdict, it, um, um, it should be a stepping stone towards things and not just um we we won the day we need to um keep on fighting against systematic racism um and social injustice and i just hope that this this one was just like the first step towards things and not just oh all right well uh we got one so we should should be um we should be um satisfied with that um stone cold you know like mike said dark side of the ring this any biography you know growing up as kids obviously you know wrestling is scripted and it's like predetermined but when you were a kid you thought all of these things were real and a lot of these things used to entertain you um for for me and Mike, it still does, and for a lot of people, it still does. Um, like it's surprising. Like WWE's core demographic, AEW's core demographic, is probably males between the ages of eighteen and like forty eight, or twenty five and like forty eight, because we've grown up watching this stuff, and it's kind of hard to to be totally turned off by it and like grow out of it. Um, so learning about all of these people, especially, you know, in this era of like social media and the internet where you could look up stuff and you're not just, um, seeing like the character you could now, um, you now know, like, oh, all right. like his real name isn't Steve Austin, Steve, Steve Williams, and he has a family and, he had, you know, uh, things happen in his life that happened to all of, you know, that, that has happened to some, if not all of us. Um, so it was very interesting to watch that and learn about him. And I'm really excited for next week. They have a very 
um, polarizing person who's been who's very very famous outside of the wrestling world as well as in it but he's also had like very controversial character decisions uh while he was with um wwe back in the 1980s um and he unfortunately is no longer with us uh he passed away um a few years ago, and I think he was only like 62 years old, I'm talking about Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. Um, even if you're not a wrestling fan, like I'm pretty sure you're familiar with his name, so I'm excited to watch that. Uh, one last time before we head out, I want to send my deepest condolences to Shock G of Digital Underground and Terrence Clark of the University of Kentucky unfortunately died tragically last night in a car accident in Los Angeles, you know, while training for the NBA draft. Um, also in honor of the guilty verdict of George Floyd's killer. We also got to remember, as I said in a segment that there are so many other black lives people of color whose lives have been taken um, not only by the police, but from vigilantism, as we've seen with uh, Trayvon Martin and Ahmaud Arbery, um, and even like Bottom Jean, who was killed by a cop who was coming off duty. She wasn't even like um, working when she killed him. Um, so we just got to keep those people in mind. And that's why, you know, instead of like celebrating, you know, a lot of people were relieved, but also, um, worried, but hopeful for what goes on in the future. So we'll check y'all out next week. Episode 50. Um, we'll try to do some kind of celebration for making it to 50 episodes, So check that out next week, but this has been episode 49 of Shug Me The Mooney, Shug Me The Mooney, Shug Me The Mooney.